0: The it there, Pedro. Bats. The AC. I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. Curveball, bats are afraid. I asked Jobu to come. Take fear from bats. I offer him cigar and rum.
1: He will come. You know, you might think about taking Jesus Christ as your savior instead of fooling around with all this stuff. Shit, Harris.
0: Ah. Jesus. I like him very much. But he no help with curveball.
1: You trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Okay, Harris, let's not start a holy (laughs) war here. Wouldn't leave that rum sitting around out here with this group.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Cleveland City of Light
0: On. burn on Big burn
3: on welcome back to another exciting edition of the pointless exercise podcast it's time to do yet another movie deep dive with Mike Pusateri um, so if you haven't had a chance to catch up our other two we did the right stuff and we did Moneyball the, our award winning uh, Moneyball movie deep I don't know what award <laughs> it won, but I'm sure it won. It, it'll win all the awards, so I'll, just golden,
4: al- I'll already refer to it. A, a Golden Globe, maybe I don't know.
3: That's yeah, I mean, I took I well. took a bunch of the Hollywood foreign press guys out on a junket. So I figure we probably have <laughs> that's a good, probably it. Yeah, that's it. We went. To, I took them to Portillos. They were very excited. Nice. Yeah. There you go. Um, so the movie is Major League. Uh, it was chosen relatively haphazardly by me at the end of the last uh, podcast. At the end of this one, we'll pick the next one. Uh,
4: but I, before that, I need to introduce uh, my co-host, Mike Pusateri. Mike, how are you? I am doing good. It feels like uh, it feels like a whole season has passed since our, our last uh, Moneyball podcast.
3: Yeah, was that? It was only like two weeks, two and a half,
4: something like that. But you guys were in the mid- middle of a blizzard and fifty below weather and. Yes, beautiful, it's sunny beautiful here today, and so the dogs are all
3: nuts. So I expect they will be making cameos at different times during the podcast.
4: Very nice. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in Los Angeles. We just yeah, took it up for a
3: walk, it? and one of them, Elsie, we had to let her harness out quite a bit. So somebody, somebody uh, oh. indulged over the winter
4: a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Oh, somebody, somebody put on a COVID 19. Yeah. Oh boy.
3: So, Mike, how can people uh, find your uh, stuff?
4: Uh, you can go to the website, MikePusateri.com, Pusateri, Pusateri, I think is my name, .com.
3: I've seen it both ways.
4: Uh, either way, I, I respond to either. Uh, the Twitter is at Mike Pusateri, and uh, the Insta, I am Mike Pusateri.
3: And as always, you can, uh, you can follow this podcast at wherever you buy your free podcasts, and... Um, Speaking of that, while it's still free, hint, hint, you could sign up for the Pointless Exercise newsletter, and I will cram all of my hilarious thoughts right into your inbox a few times a week. So there you go. All right, so okay. so Major League came out in 1989, um, a special season for uh, Cub fans, because as you, see, you saw the movie in the spring, and then the team actually kind of played out the season, in real life, in 1989, a ragtag bunch um, with their own wild thing. I'm sure we'll get into Mitch Williams, and all mm-hmm. that. Um, so I saw this movie uh, with my friend Danny Heinen. I wasn't old enough to drive yet, but Danny was. We went to the uh, we went to the theaters and we went up and we asked for two tickets to Major League, and the guy gave us crap because we weren't old enough and wouldn't sell <laughs> us a ticket. So we simply bought a ticket to some other movie, and then went into Major League instead. And when the trailers were playing, there was no sound. And we were the only two people in the theater. (laughs) And I said, we can't even go complain because we're not in here. Right. But then magically, as one of the final trailers, the sound was fixed and we got to enjoy uh, Major League. Nice. Nice. So the movie was written and directed by David S. Ward. True or false, David S. Ward was an Oscar winner.
4: That's, I'm going to say that's true because for the sting,
3: right. right? He won the, he wrote the, uh, wrote the screenplay for the sting. He, he was also nominated for another movie, which he did not win. Sleepless in
4: Seattle. I was gonna, oh, I thought you were going to quiz me on that one. Oh, Andy. Sorry. I I,
3: With Nora <laughs> Ephron and Jeff Arch. Um, Do you know, any of the other movies he wrote? Cause he wrote two cinematic classics, including one other sports movie, um, it's well, a uh, Major League Two.
4: He did not. Major League, League Two. Actually, that
3: he didn't write Major League Two. He, he directed it. And he, he directed it, and he wasn't even going to direct it at first. And finally, he's like, well, these are my characters, and so I'm going to do it. But he didn't write Major League mm. Two. And he exactly. certainly didn't write. He he disavows any knowledge of the Scott Bakula
4: Major, Back to the Minors movie. And we love him for that. He should do that. Mm. Um, okay, I'm going to go on a wild guess, only because there's a tie-in. And I feel like you like your tie-ins, Andy. Did he write? Uh, is it Mr. What was it? Is it Mr. Baseball with Euchre? What was that? What's that movie called? Well, Mr.
3: Baseball is with Tom Selleck.
4: Tom Selleck, What am I thinking?
3: Mr. Three Thousand is with. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bernie, Bernie Mac, or, uh, Bernie Mac. I didn't think of Bernie Mac. Okay. He did not write that. He wrote the f- college football movie, The Program.
4: Oh, The Program. Very nice.
3: And he also wrote the uh, – this is perfectly timely, given all the stuff with Meghan and Harry. He wrote King Ralph. See? <laughs> <laughs> the classic John Goodwin. God, John, Goodwin no. where John becomes the king because they take uh, this huge photo of every extended member of the royal family. And I forget, something tragic happens, like – they all get electrocuted or something, and they have to go scrambling to find, like, the 114th person in line to the throne, <laughs> and it turns out to be John Goodman, and he gets to be king. Uh,
4: the monarchy not, not, having a good, uh, not having a good week. No.
3: So Ward wrote the movie. He's a, he's a lifelong Indians fan, and he wrote it because he thought the only way he would ever see the Indians win something would be to just write it himself.
4: You know that's not a bad plan, and, no. we, and we can we can relate to that as as Cubs fans.
3: And what's funny is they talk about it in the movie about how long they've waited to go to the playoffs, and their drought is thirty years. <laughs> and they right. and they now that drought is at least as far as winning a World Series is significantly
4: longer. Yeah, yeah, They that, that ain't thanks no drought. To the, thanks to the Cubs. Thanks for the well. Cast.
3: It's the longest one now. Uh,
4: absolutely. But uh, yeah. So
3: the opening song to the movie, they let the whole thing play. You hear the whole song at the beginning, and it is a deceptively cruel song to the city of Cleveland. The song is is Randy Newman's "Burn On," and yeah. it just sound, it's kind of a pleasant, kind of a little tinkly song. It sets the mood, um, but. Like the lyrics seem like they're being pretty nice. Like there's an oil barge winding down the Cuyahoga river, rolling Mm -hmm. into Cleveland to the lake, Cleveland, city of light, city of magic, Cleveland, city of light. You're calling me Cleveland. Even now I remember because the Cuyahoga river goes smoking through my dreams. Burn on big river, burn on, burn on big river, burn on. Now the Lord can make it tumble. The Lord can make you turn. The Lord can make you overflow, but the Lord can't make you burn. It's homage to the fact that the Cuyahoga River was so polluted that it actually <laughs> caught fire once.
4: <laughs> yeah, see, my my thought listening to that is like, this is not, this this song does not signal this is going to be a slap-happy <laughs> funny movie. <laughs> yes. I'm not quite getting that from from this. And I have to say, too, you know, we see this montage of the cleave as as you say. And and uh nineteen eighty nine. Um I remember nineteen eighty nine. I, I was I, I, I lived in nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine does not hold up well. <laughs> looking at uh looking at that footage. Um I I remember 1989 looking a lot cooler. But, yeah, <laughs> well it sure, it sure sucked <laughs> as you're going through this opening montage.
3: Yes. Yeah, it ends um in a bar. With a as they he closes in on the uh, 1948 World Series champion Indians
2: mm-hmm. team
3: photo. So in 1987, just two years before, there was a very famous Sports Illustrated cover with Joe Carter, former Cub, Joe Carter, traded for Rick Sutcliffe and Corey Snyder, predicting that the Indians were going to win the World Series. Do you know what the Indians' record was in 1987?
4: Oh, uh, what, they win 75 games? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, they
3: just missed it. They were 61-101. and 101. <laughs> Oh, my. That's God. almost as bad as the time Dan Pompey picked the Detroit Lions to win the Super Bowl um, for the sporting news. And I think the Lions won six games.
4: That could have been any year, though.
3: It's basically the literal equivalent of that. Yeah. Six and 10 and 61 and 100. Actually, it's not. 6100 was a lot worse than six and 10. So wow. the, the basic plot to this movie should be familiar to people who have watched the feel-good television show of the pandemic. So do you know what I'm referring to?
4: The feel-good television show? What's the TV
3: show that everybody is like, oh, have you seen this yet? Oh, no, it's great. You have to watch it. Jason Sudeikis okay. won a Golden Globe for it.
4: Okay, okay, see, so yeah, yeah, okay. Ted Lasso, of course. I was going to go with my favorite feel good uh, is uh, Peaky Blinders. <laughs> That's
3: right. That's, it's just like that. <laughs> yeah, the, very simple. People didn't know if the Indians actually kept razor blades in the brim of their hat. And when they would beat people down, it would cut right. them. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, so the, the, basically, the plot to Ted Lasso is the plot to Major League. The That's female the owner wants, wants the team to fail. Now, in this case, um, she wants the, um, Rachel Phelps wants the team to fail so spectacularly that they can break their lease and move to Miami because the Marlins do not exist. They're not a thing yet. Whereas mm-hmm. in Ted Lasso, the, fem- the, the, um, the owner got it in a divorce, and it's despite her husband, who loves that soccer team more than anything, she wants them to be so bad they get relegated. Yes. So she's actively sabotaging the team the same way Rachel Phelps is actively sabotaging the Indians.
4: And although she does not have a general manager the way that Rachel Phelps did, she does have Spratt from Downton Abbey. (laughs) I didn't watch Downton Abbey. Oh, you're not a Downton Abbey guy. So if you're a Downton Abbey fan and if you love Spratt, Spratt, of course, was the butler for Maggie Smith. Uh, you you get a lot of you get a lot of sprat yeah. in Ted last
5: She
3: has the great Charlie Donovan, who is one of my yes, favorite I characters. Say, yeah. Little say, favorite side
4: characters in the thing. I have a I have a Jason Sudeikis connection real quick. I oh, uh, I did a film I did a film with uh, Olivia Wilde years ago. Oh, did you? I did. I did. Lovely person. Okay. Now, which film was that? It's called Love the Coopers. It is a Christmas movie with uh, it's John Goodman, the aforementioned John Goodman. <laughs> Uh, Diane Keaton, uh, Jake Lacy, Olivia, Amanda Seyfried, uh, a million more people. Oh, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Oh, very nice. Well, how old was yeah. he in that? Not, not very old. Nine. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Alan Arkin. Well, that was quite a quite a cast. So, after the
3: after the the Randy Newman song fades away, now you're at a conference room
4: table. With, this, this, by the way, um, reminded me of Moneyball, yes. right? This is very much like yeah. Moneyball. Um, and if anyone – see, back in the day,
3: you could actually watch this podcast because we used to – the old way YouTube worked, it recorded the video and the audio as we did it. And when the Cubs uh, and the Indians played in the World Series for the World Series podcast, I revealed – now, in the movie, if you look – people don't need to see this because they can just watch the movie. There's a bobblehead on the table. And it's this, maybe the most offensive bobblehead <laughs> ever made. It's, it's, it's Chief Wahoo
2: with mm-hmm. ridiculously
3: huge teeth, and he is painted a glowing red. And I broke this out for the Cub Indian World Series, and Mike Brat threatened to sue me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is, that is. But that I, I had
3: never was noticed good. that until my, I was like, oh, the bobblehead is on the table. So, wow. I have to watch me see what my bobblehead looks like. It's, it's, it's terribly
4: offensive. It is, it is, it really is, yeah.
3: Uh, She reveals the plan um, that she's going to, um, the team's not going to be so good. She she has assembled a list of players for them to uh, choose from. And you get things like, um, most of these guys are past their prime. Some of these guys never had a prime. And you get to the immortal. This guy here is dead.
5: Cross him off then. (laughs)
3: So So now, then there's a, um, we, they, re, they go back to this uh, series of scenes three times in the movie. First, we see kind of a group of fans um, just t- uh, sitting in a, I think they're like in a uh, diner, and they're talking about the prospects for the season. Then they show a longshoreman who says, um, yeah, these guys don't look too fucking good. Then they mm-hmm. show the two uh, Asian groundskeepers. Yes. Who are subtitled, um, they're shitty, and they're not wrong. Now, do you know who the Longshoreman is?
4: No idea. No idea. It's Neil
3: Flynn, who is most famous for being the janitor in Scrubs and the dad on The Middle.
4: Oh, very nice.
3: Yes. Very nice. Yeah, and it's it's a testament to how many times I'd seen Major League that when I saw scrubs i immediately knew who he was nice i'm like oh it's the uh it's these guys don't look so fucking good from click from the from major league it's neil flynn right so then um there's another meeting charlie and rachel and she right. um he's telling her why well, you got to find a manager and she suggests lou brown and he charlie says who's lou brown <laughs> and I found this to be troubling. If I had hired Charlie Donovan to be the manager, because she explains that Lou Brown has managed the Toledo Mudheads of the International League for the last thirty years. The yeah. Mudheads were that at the time were the triple A affiliate of the Indians.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That seemed to be not good work for there by Charlie. It's like Charlie. Not good I, intel. I think you should know that. <laughs> yeah. Charlie, you talk to him literally ten times a month. You don't know who he is?
3: So she was, in the, in the bigger meeting, she was vague about her plan, but she tells, she cuts Charlie, she, she, she lays it out to Charlie that if right. attendance can drop below 800000 they can get out of their lease. She's already got an offer. Miami's going to build her a stadium. Um, it's going to seat like 60000 It's going to have 43 luxury boxes, which apparently at the time was a big deal. And <laughs> she's going to get membership in the uh, Polo and Country Club in Boca Raton.
4: Yeah, right. Um, Making it all worth and it. And so she yeah. tells him,
3: I want to put together a team that will help us move, relocate to Miami. To which Charlie says, what do you mean? Some of these guys are furniture movers?
4: <laughs> so I looked he's this. Not, oh, go ahead. He, I was going to say, he, he's not the best general manager in the business for nothing, for folks. nothing
3: folks. no. <laughs> he's great. Um, yeah. Okay, so 800000 So I looked this up.
6: Yeah. At
3: that threshold, the Indians... Would have been able to move to Miami after the 1985 season, the
0: 1984
3: (laughs) season, the 1983 season, the 1981 season, and every year between 1969 and 1973. In 1983, playing in Cleveland Municipal Stadium, which seats 73,000, Buke claims they get 75,000 in for the big game at the end. Right. They averaged... 6,945 fans a game. They would have no problem with COVID restrictions.
2: <laughs> they,
3: can't, they couldn't get 10% filled, much less 20%. Right.
4: They could have moved to Miami 20 times. That, that's another thing that kind of confounds you as, as, an, as an actor. That would not happen today. Someone would go, wait a minute, let me just do a quick math check out here. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, 800,000, they've, you know. Well, that's not the number we're going for.
3: There was a reason for that, though. Was the okay? So the Minnesota Twins had a very similar clause written into their contract in Metropolitan Stadium when Clark Griffin owned the team,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and they had fallen below it, and he was ready to break the lease and move. And Carl, that's when Carl Pole had bought them. And then Carl used his political clout and got the the lovely Hubert H. Humphrey dome built, which kept the twins in town, at least until Bud Selig tried to contract them. Right. Uh, but then they started winning again, and they, they managed to avoid that, and they built their new stadium. But apparently that's what David S. Ward based this clause in the lease on, was the one that had just been in the news a couple of years earlier, where the twins were going to use that to escape
4: uh, Minnesota. Well, that's all fine and good, but, you know, 200,000 fans, could you say, you know, maybe, maybe we just adjust the math a little bit.
3: Oh, make it really low.
4: Yeah, because, right. Cause, yeah, make it lower than. Right, than just, they,
3: just six years earlier, they had, they had only had 562,000 fans.
4: <laughs> right, right. Because that does strike you like, when she says it, it's like, I don't know, 800,000, that's bad. But it's not like, you know, break the lease bad. So they could have, uh, that would not happen today. Somebody would have said, you know, let's make this 400,000 guys. It's pretty bad. Yeah.
3: (laughs) All right. So I was was telling you that the first 10 or 15 minutes of this movie does an incredible amount of a a a very effective amount of establishing who these people are immediately. And so they kind of get the crap out of the way about, okay, she's, she's the former showgirl wife of the owner. The owner died. And she said, "Screw this! I don't want to live in Cleveland anymore. She's going to move." And then they have to set up. We have to meet the we have to meet the players and the manager and figure out who they are right away. And so there's this mm-hmm. kind of incredible chunk that starts with um, with Jake Taylor laying passed out on a bed in Mexico. The phone rings. He goes to answer the phone and he can't hear because he still has the sombrero on. So he has to knock <laughs> that off.
5: Yeah. Hello, Jake. This is Charlie Donovan,
4: the new GM of the Cleveland Indians.
5: Yeah. We'd love for you to come to spring training for a shot at this year's club. Is that you, Tolbert? What? This isn't very funny, you know.
6: I'm hungover. My knees are killing me and if you're going to pull this shit, at least you could have said you were from the Yankees.
3: And he hangs up on it.
4: Which is great. Which is great.
3: And the other way I love it is as soon as he hangs up, you immediately hear the phone ring again because now you are clearly in some kind of auto repair facility and there's <laughs> Lou Brown who answers the phone.
5: entire world. Hello, Lou. This is Charlie Donovan with the Cleveland Indians. How would you like to manage the Indians this year? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? This is a chance to manage in the big leagues. Let me think it over, will you, Charlie? I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. I'll talk to you later.
4: <laughs> white walls was also a thing, kids, in the, in the 80s. But <laughs> <laughs> that's men of a certain age. Got to have the white walls. Then
3: we see the back of Charlie Sheen's head with the iconic Rick Vaughn. Do? I don't even know what you'd call the way they shaved... Lightning bolt things into the back of his head. Yeah. Charlie's excited to invite him to spring training, and Charlie's not really sure. Rick, I guess. Um, Ricky's not really sure he can make it, and when the camera pans back, it's because he's in prison.
4: Um, Whatever happened to Charlie Sheen, by the way? Did he do anything since this movie, or was that, is that it? Pretty much. Nobody ever heard of him? No. No. Nothing controversial, or anything.
3: So he had been in Platoon with Tom Berenger just a couple of years before. Yes. And when David S. Ward sold this movie to whatever, whichever studio it was, their immediate idea was let's get Tom Berenger and Charlie Sheen back together. And he's like, well, that doesn't exactly scream comedy. (laughs) Right. Uh, But uh, Berenger read the script and immediately wanted to do it. And, uh, he called Charlie, and Charlie apparently had been. Uh, this this is a window into Charlie Sheen in 1987 or eight. Um, he was late for his audition, or probably not his audition, his meeting. I'm sure he didn't have to audition for this.
2: Yeah, sure he was he late
3: for the meeting, and they had all these horrible thoughts about where Charlie had been, as to why he was <laughs> late.
2: Mm-hmm. He
3: claims he was actually he had pulled out. He had been he had been reading the script before he left for the. Meeting, he pulled in the parking mm-hmm. lot. He was a few minutes early. He started reading the script again, and was so excited by the script he just kept reading it.
2: <laughs> he
3: left them waiting because he was reading the script, and he of course that, wanted he of course wanted to do it. He. Um,
4: that sounds like bullshit, by the way. But it it does. It's a great does. It absolutely it, sounds like bullshit. He
3: was yeah. coked out of his mind. Although it's funny because in the same uh, in the same oral history, he's very open about um, how the the logistics of getting women in and out of. Uh, Milwaukee, where they filmed this, uh, were difficult for Charlie. I said not as bad as it was on Young Guns because they filmed in Santa Fe and the girls had to fly into Albuquerque. And he said they would literally see each other because there was only one road to get from Albuquerque to Santa Fe. And the girls leaving would drive by the girls coming in. He said this Mm -hmm. wasn't quite as bad because he was sore a lot from uh, playing all the baseball.
4: Right, for playing the baseball. Yes,
3: that's what he that's what he was sore um, for.
4: <laughs> now we would later learn, of course, that Charlie has quite the great comedy chops from, you know, two and a half men. And and let us not forget a little a little very small role in Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's day day off of just a couple of years before.
3: Well he had been up for the Maverick role in Top Gun. And they decided he was too young. And he wasn't Tom Cruise. <laughs> Probably those oh, right. two things. You're too young. Okay. You're not Tom Cruise, but that's why he did hot shots. <laughs> so he gotcha. did he did the parody instead okay. of the actual. Um,
4: right, right, okay, interesting. Yes. So we see, we meet Ricky.
3: Yeah. Then we get to then we get to spring training.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And there's a great scene where Charlie Donovan, the general manager, Lou Brown, the manager, and my one of my favorite characters, whole movie Pepper Leach the pitching coach who wears the flip down he's got the sunglass clip on sunglasses on his glasses wears them all the time (laughs) never flips them down they're (laughs) always up the entire movie
4: right gotta love it yes
3: and that's Pepper Leach and they're standing there and they're watching the guys show up and so the first guy to walk in
5: Jake Taylor he was an all star in Boston wasn't he yeah wound up in the Mexican league had some problems with his knees we had him two years ago we did Four
3: years ago, man. Right. Um, one of them says, oh, Lou says he was an all-star in Boston a few years ago. The reason for that is um, Ward-based Jake Taylor on Carlton Fisk.
4: Ah, okay. So that was
3: a little homage
4: there. To Carlton, very nice.
3: Then a very shirtless Dennis Haysbert shows yes. up as Serrano, and they explain that he is defected from Cuba for religious reasons, for religious freedom. And which religion? Voodoo. What's
5: his,
3: what's his religion?
4: <laughs> Voodoo. Voodoo. Dennis Haysbert, of course. Now we we all know him as the, yes, the Allstate.
3: state guy. One of the great presidents of all time. Yes, David, great president. David Palmer was his first name. I think it was David Palmer.
4: Yeah, David Palmer. Yes.
3: First black president of the United States. That's People right. think it was Barack Obama. No, it was it was President Palmer. That's right. Fancy car pulls up. Thought we didn't have any. Thought we didn't have any high
4: price talent. Oh, I forgot about Dorn because he's just high priced. <laughs> <laughs> and out comes Dorn, and then with wi- golf clubs. Yes. And then yes. Willie Mays
3: Hayes pulls up in yeah. a Volkswagen that is uh, in, a, in a Beetle, and. Uh, the vehicle yeah. that Willie Mays Hayes drives to opening day of spring training in is a customized VW Beetle with a Rolls Royce grill,
2: replacement
3: <laughs> trunk and hood ornament. The elegant Beetle kit, as it was once called, was popular in the mid seventies to mid eighties until Rolls Royce sued a company responsible for one of the conversion kits. The kit. So
4: you was- could have you, you could have actually bought that yourself. Yes.
3: That was a oh, thing. My. Wow. And they said this kit may have also been referenced in the 1978 uh, Immortal movie, Cheech and Chong, Up in Smoke.
4: Classic. Good to meet you, Hayes. The parking lot is right <laughs> over there.
3: <laughs> and Willie, Willie tells him they need to stick around because he plans on putting on a hitting
4: display. <laughs> yes, he does.
3: <laughs> to which Charlie goes, I don't remember a Hayes. <laughs> Ricky pulls up, riding on the back of a motorcycle, gives the guy a little fist bump. And my favorite touch is he doesn't have a bag. He has a garbage bag with all Mm -hmm. of his stuff in it. Yep. And then one of my favorite lines in the movie is Pepper Leach.
5: Look at this fucking guy. (laughs) My kind of team, Charlie. It's my kind of (laughs) team.
4: (sighs) <sighs> uh.
3: so one thing that even in 1989 threw me was they go into the go into the spring training clubhouse, and you see all the bunk beds. Yeah,
4: this bothered me too. In 1989,
3: were the players really still sleeping at the spring training facility?
4: What couldn't, couldn't have been. No. Is, is this looks like a bad army barracks. <laughs>
3: And one thing, if you if you notice, if you look, the the more like key players, the most obvious one is Jake. There's a yeah. piece of tape on their bunk with their name on it, so you can like see, oh, that's Jake's bunk, and that's what it's like. They reserve the good ones. Yeah, right. The status,
4: ones. the status is still in place <laughs> in the, this crappy army barracks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you're expecting Sergeant Hulk to walk in any second. This is this cannot have been spring training. In 1989, could have been. So that that's- bothered me. Why are they all in bunk beds in this crazy, weird little barracks thing? I, but the reason is, I think the reason is, and let's get David S. Ward on the phone so we can ask him. But I think the reason is, is all, that's all to set up the joke with William Mays Hayes. Yes, where the guys come into the bear into the barracks and they lift <laughs> them out. <laughs> I think that's the whole sole reason for that. Other than that, you get to meet the other characters too. So we're introduced to yeah, but they could the. Great- the-
3: The rest of it, they could have done in a locker room. Like, you didn't need the bunks. I guess just for Willie.
4: Yeah. Yeah, the bunks make it funnier because they do take him off the top bunk. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. And we do get to meet one of the great, one of the great that guys of all time. Maybe the best that guy of all time. The lovely Chelsea Ross. Chelsea Ross.
3: Chelsea is in a troika of great sports movies. Yes, plays he Ed Harrison Major League. He plays uh one of the uh overly enthusiastic townspeople in, in Hoosiers. Yep. And he plays Notre Dame coach Dan Devine in Woos. Yes.
4: yes. And he also was in trouble with the curve. Now that's not in that same category. Oh, yeah. but, but he is in that too.
3: How old do you think Chelsea Ross was in nineteen
4: eighty nine? Well, really we know when they filmed it. Well we know Chelsea. Looked 74 yeah, right. in 1989. I, uh, Chelsea, I was actually, Chelsea's i I've met Chelsea a couple of times. He's a really, he's a great guy. I was actually supposed to do a movie with him, um, written by my friend, friend Kathy Ruby, but that didn't work out. And then um, Rick Dorn was supposed to be in that movie, and then he, he backed out, not Rick Dorn, the actor who played Rick Dorn, Gordon Burnson. And then, and then Roger, Roger, Roger Dorn, excuse me, Roger Dorn. And, uh, and then Barry Boswick ended up doing that movie. But anyhow, Chelsea Ross in 1989, he's had, he, 37, I'm going to guess. 45. 45, okay.
3: I'm so looking you, every bit of it. And do you think Chelsea Ross played college baseball? Yes, he did. He did. He did.
4: He did. A lot of the actors actually had college baseball. He
3: was a pitcher at yeah. Southwest Texas State. And he actually, when Ward was casting the guys, he would play catch with them. Because he said a lot of actors will, t- every actor will tell you that they have all the skills for whatever the role is. And so he wanted to be able to prove it. And he said, Chelsea could throw relatively hard for a 45 year old. And he said, can you, put a little, can you put a little curve in it or a wrinkle in it? And Chelsea uh-huh. said, I threw these two loopy curve balls.
4: And he's like, all right, you got it. So the, the ball players in, uh, in major league, the actors rather, in major league are pretty good ball players yeah, for a movie. There's,
3: there's one major exception. Wesley Snipes could not play baseball <laughs> at all. Right. They said, you know, he, he wasn't fast. So you always see Willie Mays Hayes in slow motion. Yep. And he couldn't throw. So you never see Willie throw ever, at least not from the front. I think maybe you see it from mm-hmm. behind, which is not him. Right. But – so in the, in, the, in the big game at the end, he makes that ridiculous catch where he reaches up and grabs the top of the fence and pulls himself up. Wesley actually did that.
4: Yeah, because he looks pretty good doing yep. it.
3: They said that in was that one. his one athletic contribution to the Ooh. movie was, I don't know, I didn't say how many takes it took, but that's really him doing that. That's but good. Otherwise, no. And then, uh, you know, of course, he's in White Man Can't Jump. Right. And he clearly can't play basketball. No. No. Woody Harrelson could. Wesley could not.
4: Right. Um, but a lot, a lot of you know Charlie Sheen had a. Uh, he had a scholarship to play baseball at Kansas, I believe. Yeah, he got offered
3: a scholarship at Kansas. Yeah. They said he was throwing in the in the low eighties, and then he admitted that he did steroids for two months, and was throwing eighty five.
4: <laughs> that extra three miles per hour in the fastball.
3: Uh, they apparently did though in the in the in the scenes to make it look like he was throwing really hard. Um, the the mound is actually ten feet closer in some of those, so that um, just to give See? the illusion that the ball is going that much faster. But they said he really could, you know, Charlie could really pitch. They didn't have to fake any of his stuff. Yeah, which made it easier. Um, Tom Berenger had played baseball as in high school, but hadn't been a catcher. He was a good football player, apparently, so he was tough enough for it. But they had to teach him how to do the basic catching stuff. But they also said any time that you see him throw with his mask on or the time he gets run over at home plate, that's former Dodger catcher Steve Yeager.
4: The great Steve Yeager, yes. Who
3: is also the, he also plays uh, the third base coach. Um, right duke what's duke's last name
4: duke's duke something
3: and this always confused me because i knew jaeger played a character named duke and for the longest time i thought he played the duke the pitcher the closer who comes in for right the but Yankees. he didn't that was that <laughs> yeah. we'll get to that that was a a former brewer uh minor league pitcher okay plays the duke
4: so yeah. there's some weird, there's some weird things here because you have two guys. Duke is a bizarre name, so why you have two guys named Duke in one movie is strange. Yeah, we talked about the attendance thing earlier. That's an easy fix. Those are bizarre like choices, but again, but on the other hand, David S. Ward phenomenal job as you said about in, introducing every character in a way that's interesting. And not only do, do we get to learn who these guys are, what their role is, but we get to learn their personality all very quickly. Uh, done really really well and you know he spent some time obviously getting guys who could play baseball so it's, it's strange to me how those two things all fo- all those things mixed together yeah
3: well and former baseball players many of them including the guy who manages the Chicago Cubs revere this movie as though it's by far the most accurate even though it's f- funny they the thing they like about it is it got so many of the little things right mm-hmm. um but yeah, it is. It's curious. Some of the things they must have said. Oh, fuck it. That's that's good enough. <laughs> um, so it's, they come into the barracks, and it's it's established very quickly that Roger Dorn's a prick yep. and isn't going to like Ricky Vaughn. Calls him yep. Veghead. Yeah. <laughs> to which Jake gives Ricky a little advice, and because he introduces himself, and Ricky doesn't say anything. He's like, "You got a name, or do you want to be Veghead?" Mm-hmm. And so he tells him who he is, and then Willie comes over.
1: What the hell, league you've been playing in? California Penal. Never heard of it. Well, how'd you end up playing there? Stole a car.
3: Yes. Uh, Excellent. Serrano comes over and steals one of <coughs> Roger's uh, golf club covers. Mm-hmm. This says hats for bats, keep bats warm, puts it on the top okay. of his bat. And uh, Roger knows enough not to demand it back from a very yes. large Dennis Haysbert.
4: Right. Yes.
3: Right, so then we get the "That's nighttime," and the security guards come in, right. find Willie, who was not supposed to be there. He had crashed camp, and they' literally just pick his bed off the top and carry him out and put him in the parking lot on the bed.
4: In his, in his pajamas..: yes.
3: <laughs> And he must be a very sound sleeper, because he's My still spirit. asleep when the rest of the team is out on the field running. And you can actually hear like the starter. They're using a starter pistol and it's going off (laughs) and you hear it like three times. And then it finally wakes him up. And he says a line that I've repeated a million times. (laughs) Shit, I've been caught already.
2: But he gets (laughs) up.
3: And in his pajamas, bare feet in his pajamas, he, they're yes. running the 60, which I don't know why they make baseball players run the 60. You never, Where do you run 180 feet in a baseball? Yeah. But Willie, running between two white guys, just completely zips right past them.
4: Destroys them.
3: To which uh, Lou Brown
5: says, get him a uniform. Get that man a uniform. <laughs> Um,
3: yeah, so then we get – this movie does collages very well, and they do – or montages, and they do mm-hmm. several different kinds. This is one where – it's not the traditional sports one where it's just set to music and do a the thing. They're, they're zipping around from player to player to player. Um, and uh, it starts with – uh <laughs> starts with you see Jake. He's catching somebody, and you hear Lou. <laughs> and I forget what he says, something like um, – Oh. Well, when did you get it? Well, make sure you have enough hay for it. Something then, like, he starts, oh, yeah. then he starts walking towards home plate, and he has this great conversation with Jake.
5: Hey, Jake. How's the knees holding up? Great. Never been better. Mobility's good. No problem getting off the throat a second. No problem. I need a catcher, Jake, somebody who can lead this team on the field. So I want the absolute truth here. Are you 100%? Yeah, well, I bullshit you about something like that. You better. You want to make this team.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and then we say, uh, "And when Jake goes second base, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he gives the most pathetic looking throw." Like oh shit! Like, ooh, that that was so bad. You're like, ooh, I'm not sure Tom could play baseball. This did not look good on that on that throw.
3: So. Yeah, you have a note here. So I love Pepper Leach, the coach who wears the flip-up sunglasses and always has them propped up because he gives the best exasperated looks whenever anything goes wrong. So the next person is Willie in the cage, <laughs> you know, he's swinging his hips or whatever, and he takes the bat, and he's going to bounce the bat off the plate and catch it. And it just Thanks. bounces away from him, and there's just a shot of
5: Pepper. Like, oh, what the fuck
2: is that? <laughs>
5: <laughs> ah! Hold it, hold it. Well, you may run like Maze, but you hit like shit. With your speed, you should hit the ball on the ground and be legging them out. Every time I see you hit one in the air, you owe me 20 push-ups. <laughs>
4: hey, no problem.
3: <laughs> Which is not actually the right thing because he introduced himself as Willie Mays Hayes. He ran like Hayes, but he played like Mays because he apparently ran like Bullet Bob Hayes, the Olympian right. former Dallas Cowboy. But yeah, still funny. So funny. Then we see Rick throwing. to which Lou yells at him. He's, he's wearing, he's cut the sleeves off of his practice uniform is not wearing his
5: pants. All right, Vaughn, they tell us you're a pitcher. You're sure not much of a dresser. We wear caps and sleeves at this level, son. Understood? All right, let's see what you can do. (laughs) Nice velocity. Sounded like it. Jeez. How much?
1: 96
5: better teach this kid some control before he kills somebody.
4: Yeah, that's the best. Like, okay.
5: Better yeah, teach so this guy some control.
4: Oh my god, 96? Mm-hmm. He's like the sixth reliever on any major right. league club now. But back then, yeah. You may be a pitcher, but you're not much of a dresser.
3: <laughs> well, nowadays if he did it, they'd have to have Sahadev Sharma sitting next to the radar guy, guy. And he'd be like, what was the, what, what'd you get on 96. Yeah. But, uh, the Soto machine says that his spin rate yeah, what's was 38,000 RPMs and the pitch <laughs> dropped and it'd be like, all right, whatever. For fuck's sake, just shut up.
2: <laughs>
3: we see Roger Dorn taking ground balls Yeah, and one hit a little bit to his left and he just kind of reaches over and misses it. And-
5: Come on, Dorn, get in front of the damn ball. Don't give me this old lay bullshit. Look, I took one of those in the eye last year. I'm not about to lose my sight. I'm deeply moved. Every time you play one off your hips, you owe me 40 sit-ups. What?
6: He's
3: already what? told he's already told Willie he owes her 20 20 push-ups anytime there's right. a pop-up. Right. Sit-ups. Sit-ups? Who's doing sit-ups?
4: 1989. Nobody's doing sit-ups. Apparently, Roger certainly roger well, <laughs> well roger ain't roger ain't planning on doing no sit-ups either
3: no right so then we a little bit later roger comes running to lou holding his contract Lou,
5: i want a word with you here sure
4: about those sit-ups you want me to do i gotta right here in my contract it says i don't have to do any calisthenics i don't feel unnecessary so what do you think about that Classic. Classic sound effect of the year. Contract, <laughs> by
3: yeah, the, way. the Foley guy won an Oscar for me.
4: I mean. <laughs> he, he should have. The sound guy definitely <laughs> needed something there.
3: Based solely on that
4: um, so I'd like to thank uh, They I teach that at New York ahead. Films. <laughs> they, sh- they should teach that at New York Film School if they don't. This is what piss getting a contract sounds like.
3: And there's a lot of little lines in the movie that you don't even catch the first time. They're coming in tired after practice, and you hear Willie kind of say in the background, 200 push-ups. How am I supposed to hit if I can't feel my arms? (laughs) (laughs) That's when they established that the way the Indians cut players in 1989 was they would put a Mm. red tag, hang it in their locker. Yes. So Jake tells him, and then Rick doesn't want to open his locker, and he's like, "Don't worry, kid. They're not going to cut anybody on the first day." Right. Although they had cut, Will, course they course. Had cut Willie that morning.
4: So that's maybe true. They would. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yes, yeah, so of course. Setting up. There's a lot. There's a lot. This movie does a good job of a lot of setup and payoff. Yeah. And that's another little setup that gets paid off.
3: So Rick sits in his locker, and he looks over, and there's the Adonis-like figure of Chelsea Ross with stuff <laughs> smeared all over him. And so Rick asks him, what's that shit on your chest?
4: Oh, can I interrupt? Because before you get oh, just sure. speaking of sound, speaking of sound, guys, Chelsea does it, he stretches his back and you can hear the back crack. <laughs> what's that shit on your chest?
1: Crisco. Bardol. any one of them will give you another two to three inches drop on your curveball of course if the umps are watching me close i just rub a little jalapeno inside my nose get it running and if i need to load the ball up a little just wipe my nose you put snot on the ball i haven't got an arm like yours i gotta put anything on it i can find someday you will too so chelsea's got a whole menu for rick
4: Yes, he does.
3: What's that shit on your chest? He points at Crisco, and then a little farther down Bardol, and
4: then on his hip,
1: Vagisil. Vagisil.
4: Any <laughs> of them? Nobody could. Nobody could utter the word Vagisil like Chelsea Ross. Yeah. Vagisil. I didn't even know what how that was in 1989. I'm like, fucking Vagisil.
3: Vagicil. <laughs> was a whole bunch of high school baseball
4: players so asking, yeah, right. asking.
3: Right. Pharmacist for it. Yeah,
4: he couldn't Google it. Like, hey, what's ph- – can I get some Vavisil? Son, are you, you, sh-
3: Son, are you <laughs> sure that's what you need?
4: <laughs> helps get to a- three inches to my curveball. I don't know.
3: So Chelsea explains, any of them will get you two to three more inches on your curveball. Of course, if the umps are watching me close, I just rub a little jalapeno inside my <laughs> nose and get it running. And then if I need to load the ball up, and he just rubs his nose and –
4: you put snot on the ball.
3: Haven't got an arm like yours. I got to put anything on it I can find.
4: Someday you will too. That I love. That I love that part. Someday you will too. <laughs> I, and I imagine it's touches like that where that that the reason, that's the reason baseball players like this movie so much because of stuff like that. Little touches. Then we meet Joe Bu. Joe Bu.
3: Joe Bu. The idol. I don't know what he was. Something sitting yeah. in Pedro Serrano's locker,
4: um, right?
0: Hey, boss, are there, Pedro? Bats. The I see. I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. Curveball. Bats are afraid. I asked Jobu to come. Take fear from bats. I offer him cigars wrong
1: he will come you know you might think about taking Jesus Christ as your savior instead of fooling around with all this stuff (sighs) shit Harris
0: Ah, Jesus I like him very much but he no help with curveball
1: you trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball okay Harris let's not start a holy war here (laughs) Wouldn't leave a rum sitting around out here with this group.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's
0: very bad. To steal Joe Boo's rum. He's very bad.
3: And it's the the way that whole scene is filmed is great. There's they put a camera like you are Joe Boo for most of the scene like like you see joe boo yeah. and then the rest of the perspective go. is you see dennis Haysbert in the foreground and then the cast of players him constantly changes while they're mm-hmm. having the cast. the only thing that stays the same is jake and uh right. ricky other right. guys come and go in the background because they're a little disinterested
4: right and chelsea ross looks legitimately terrified <laughs> Dennis Haysbert's shirtless staring at him and i don't blame him for one bit Cause he looks like he's just going to rip his throat out.
3: So then we get a Now we get a, an actual, a regular training montage. See Richie, yeah. pitch, Rick, or, uh, Rick is pitching to a cutout, uh, which he eventually uh, hits in the head and breaks the head mm-hmm. off of the poor cutout. Uh, Jake is taking, uh, pitches in the dirt off of his chest to show how hard he's working. Serrano is still whiffing helplessly at any curveball that they throw him. And even Roger Dorn is at least kind of trying to yeah. knock ground balls down.
4: But the, the montage serves to show all the flaws that these players have, yes. right? That these are all their flaws that they have to overcome as the movie progresses. By the way, w- what could the Cubs have done with Ricky Vaughn in the Pitch Lab? If only they had the other- <laughs>
3: Yeah. <laughs>
4: Can you imagine?
3: And we're going to get when when they diagnose Richie's problem. I have a problem with everything that happens after it. Okay. With with Rick Vaughn, but we'll get to that when we get
4: to it. Fair enough. Fair enough.
3: Um, So they shot the spring training stuff at the lovely High Corbett Field in Arizona, where the Indians trained from 1947 to 1992. Okay. They then went to Winter Haven, Florida. Where I actually went to see them. This is so I was my mom and dad had a uh, they were renting a house somewhere outside of Orlando. I forget which place that was at the time. They now mm-hmm. mom now owns a house down there, but they they would just rent and spend a couple of months down there in the winter. <clears throat> so I went down, and the closest teams to them were the Astros were in Kissimmee, um, the Royals were at Baseball City. I don't know if you remember Baseball City was the thing. That, it was actually like mm-hmm. a game show on ESPN. Set in Baseball City. Okay. Um, and, then the, um, and then the Indians were in Winter Haven. It wasn't that far of a drive. <clears throat> so using my sports writer clout with Decipio, nice. I had emailed all these places and asked for tickets.
2: Okay.
3: And I got them. Nice. And the Royals gave me a whole shitload of tickets to go to Baseball City. But we, I, we got a pair <laughs> at Winter Haven. And so um, I took my dad and we drove down. We just had to go to the will call to get our ticket, okay. pick up our tickets. And we're waiting in line. And the guy in the will call thing is just being a pain in the ass to everybody. He's <laughs> pissed off and he's snapping everybody. And so I walk up and he's like, name. And so I, <laughs> I say my last name. Uh-huh. And he immediately is like, oh, holy shit. Really? And he looks at the tickets and he's like, uh, just a second. And he heads, he like goes to the back of this little ticket booth. I look at him Oh, I'm like, well, this is, what, not have tickets? This is a problem. No, they, I'm going to say he, he gives was us, you, gives right. us better tickets. <laughs> the reason, of course, is that the Cleveland Indians are owned by Larry Dolan. And oh, he assumed that we were them. Somehow right. related. And could not believe the crap tickets that he had given the Dolans. So we got much better tickets. It's spring training, but, you know, still. Actually, what they had done was they had moved us back a couple of rows, okay. so that we would be in the shade. Because in Florida, it is miserable down there for more than a couple of innings if you're in the sun. So they'd actually, oh, yeah. we were behind home plate. But they moved us back a couple of rows, so we started the game in the shade. And the shade got progressively. It didn't. We didn't lose it. It kept going. So. And this
4: explains why, even to this day, when you go to Sloan Park, you introduce yourself as Andy Ricketts.
6: That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> <sighs>
4: Yeah, they
3: love me. I can't wait. I, I'm sure if I told them my name down there, I would I would open all kinds of doors. Um, so we're watching the game down there in Warehaven, just enjoying ourselves. And there's a guy, there's an old man, <coughs> who at first I think is like the Indians version of Ronnie Woo Woo. He's in full uniform. Head to toe, stirrups, pants, jersey, hat. This old white-haired guy. And we're looking at him, and my dad goes, that's Bob Feller.
4: Oh, my. And we're like, really? why
3: would Bob Feller be in full uniform sitting in the stands? That's ridiculous. Yeah. It really was Bob Feller. Nice. That's apparently how we went to spring training. I mean, he probably was, like, on the field before the game, but he wasn't in the dugout. He was in the stands during when the game started. So we went over to had chatted with him, got his autograph. Seemed like a nice guy. It's funny because I was doing research for this. They had a, they had a, uh, one of the first screenings of Major League was in Cleveland, and they invited a bunch of Indians and former Indians. And Good after thinking. the, and after Good the thinking. movie, yeah, yeah, Bob Feller walked up to David S. Ward and complained that there was too much swearing. <laughs> <laughs> Bob. And Ward's like, oh, like, uh, they weren't swearing in the '40s and '50s, Bob.
4: Yeah, come on, Bob.
3: Now Bob Feller broke into the big leagues at I believe, seventeen. There was a war going on, you know.
4: Yes, there was. And so, the
3: pandemic about to happen, by the way. And then there's great footage somewhere of it didn't have radar guns back then, but they knew the Bob Feller threw hard, and they were pretty sure he flew 100 miles an hour. So here's how they, here's how they figured it out.
4: Okay, sounds good.
3: They went out on a track, and they measured off 60 feet, six inches. Then they put a guy in a motorcycle, and they drove him around the track to get up to top speed. And he was going 100 miles an hour. And as he got to Bob Feller, you know, side of the next room, Bob pitched. And the ball <laughs> beat the motorcycle, the home plate, which meant Bob Feller had to have thrown 100 miles an hour.
4: That, that What?
3: Yes. Put that, in your really? Put that in your pitch lab. I like that. <laughs> That's how they should still do it. They nope, should have yeah. a guy driving around Dylan Maples. <laughs> and then Dylan hits him in the head with the ball as he's That's trying right. to drive past him. Right. <laughs> Um, Yeah, because one of the things that had bothered me in later viewings was there's a scene where a very Hector Villanueva-looking Cub runs over Jake at home plate. I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. The the Indians wouldn't have played the Cubs in spring training. The Indians were in Florida, but they weren't. They really were in Arizona. So that was not not wrong. I'll admit it once. (laughs) Nice. Like my dad always said, I've only been wrong once in my life. I thought I was wrong but I was right. <laughs>
2: yeah. Nice. I like that.
3: So I think it's funny. Then now we get to the end of spring training. It happens very quickly. Okay. Now it's the end of spring training. And Jake is really nervous to open his lock. And I'm it's thinking okay, he's the 20 starting 20
4: catcher. <laughs> he
3: thinks he's getting cut.
4: Right. I'm also thinking, you're the star of the movie, Jake. He ain't going no yeah, place. Right. Come on. <laughs> right. Come on. It's going to be a pretty short movie. All right, well, Jake's cut and the movie ends terrific.
3: So he opens it up. And it's fine. He doesn't have a tag in his locker. Serrano right. has some kind of, I don't know if it's a cobra, some kind of snake. And he's doing yes, the thing.
4: Right. Yeah, the voodoo, right. And he opens it up. And he's Do we know what that white, he's got like a white yeah. substance? And be- he, actually, he
3: actually like makes a cross with the poor snake.
4: Yeah. And Very then
3: Willie, at some point, I guess earlier than that, has a garter snake.
2: little <laughs> and garter he's snake. Doing it.
3: <laughs> and then he's not cut and he kisses it. And then he's like, "Oh, yeah. I kissed a snake." But in the <laughs> right. in the final scene, Willie does the funny thing where he, he doesn't want to look, so mm-hmm. he opens the locker, but he's backed up against the other locker with his back to it, and then he closes one eye, a la Trevor Bauer, make himself uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> and he <clears throat> he spins around and looks and sees he's not cut. And then it's mm-hmm. little things in the movie that I really like. He knows enough not to celebrate. Actually, I think Jake tells him, "Don't celebrate." Other guys just died, you know, right. and they got cut. So he goes right, right, out right. into the parking lot which is a kind of a nice callback. He goes back out to where he had, yes. uh, he'd already had two great moments where he pulled up in the, in the Rolls Royce kidded beetle and been told to go somewhere else and had woken up on a cot. Now right. he's dances around and yes, yes, yes. Cause he's, he's made the, <laughs> he's made the <laughs> team. Right. So the only guy we have to worry about now is Ricky. Yes. Cause I was pretty sure as a 15 year old or whatever I was when I saw this movie, um, I must have been able to drive. I must just not have driven to the movies because I would I would have been sixteen. Um, pretty worried they're going to cut Charlie Sheen,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but he opens it up and there's a red tag in there.
4: Well, but it's pretty artful how they how they yeah. shot that though. Kind of like the Joe perspective. Kind of the be- you just yeah. kind of see that. you're looking. Whoa. You
3: can see him through the through like the the vent slits in the top of the locker. You could yeah. see him, but then when he opens it, then you see the red silhouetted like in front of you because you didn't know until he opened it there was a red tag there.
4: Right, right.
3: <laughs> so Ricky heads to see Lou, and Lou is sitting there. Um. So I worked for the – people know this, but I'll just tell it quickly. I worked for the Beloit Snappers for a year, and Don Money, former Milwaukee Brewer Don Money, was the manager for the Snappers. And I had to go into his office after every game and go (laughs) over the box score with him because the managers could challenge – I was the official scorer. They could challenge what I had scored. Every time I went in there, Don was – that guy got half naked faster than anybody ever. (laughs) (coughs) Go in there, and he would have – he just – he always wore – He always wore a sleeveless. He'd just take an old T-shirt and cut the sleeves off. That's what he always wore under his jersey. And then his pants would be off. He was like Clark the Cub. The pants were just off. (laughs) So, anyway, so Rick walks in, and Lou is already dressed like that. He's got, like, the jerseys open, and his shirt is hanging out, and he doesn't have any pants on.
1: I got news for you, Mr. Brown. You haven't heard the last of me. You may think I'm shit now, but someday you're going to be sorry that you cut me. I'm going to catch you on somewhere else, and every time that I pitch against you, I'm going to stick it up, you fucking ass!
5: Good. I like that kind of spirit in a player. The only problem is I didn't cut you. What? I think someone's been having some fun with you.
3: There's The way uh, Charlie does it is pretty funny. He's he somehow sh- angrily yet sheepishly leaves and he even like p- he like punches his left hand because now right, he's then, gonna go find roger dorn because
4: he knows he's hand, yeah right he wants to kick the shit out of roger dorn but on the other hand he just made the team so <laughs>
3: right
4: it <laughs> was <is> pretty cool
3: <laughs> so he goes around and he jumps on dorn and they have a baseball fight where they roll around on the floor right some things i noticed so during the fight you see jake mm-hmm. he has his jock on he's a catcher he should have a jock and a cup He's wearing his underwear under the jock, which seems like a very like junior high kind of. I need to wear a jock, but I don't want anybody to see me naked. So I'm just going to put the jock on over the underwear. It really didn't make any sense. Some of the other players wore like um, like those sliding shorts. And you would see they had a jock over them, which seems a little excessive. Uh, But Dennis Haysbert, black jock, nothing else. (laughs) right President Palmer not afraid to show everybody's ass in the movie not at all so um, Lou finally comes out breaks it up Jake grabs Ricky tells him to knock it off he's got he's got more important things to do and Ricky's like what and he goes like packing for Cleveland
4: (laughs) right like packing for Cleveland dummy you're in the fucking majors
3: so Ricky's made the team and then we get the second of the three-act structure. Ricky Vaughn,
6: Willie Hayes. I never heard of most of them.
0: Mitchell Friedman. Who are these fucking guys?
3: (laughs) The Asian groundskeepers still sweeping away, saying they're shitty. In real life... Those two guys, that's an actual father and a son.
4: I had read that. They're a father and son team. That's nice. That's Jake going to the stadium.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right.
4: Right? By himself. This is, again, we're talking about how this movie does a good job of, you know, setting it up and then paying it off later. We see Jake calling a shot in an empty stadium. Nobody's there. And hitting a home run to win the game and rounding the bases. And, of course, William A. Hayes and Ricky are there watching him and happy to give him shit uh after it but that of course comes back later on in the movie
3: um okay so you go to the fancy yeah. restaurant and one of my favorite lines in the movie <clears throat> you see them and then you see that ricky has a like a black he has a motorcycle jacket that he's cut the sleeves off of and a tank top <laughs> and he's wearing a tie yeah and he looks at jake and he very disgustingly says um it looks like a banker in this
2: Look like a
3: banker in this. Yes. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, those are the rules." So clearly, they had given they had, the the restaurant had given him the tie that he had. To wear. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> this is
4: great.
3: They start to sh- start to set up the fact. You don't realize it at the time. You figure it's just because the menu is convoluted and possibly in another language. Ricky turns takes the menu. He's reading it, and he turns it 180 degrees,
4: which is pretty funny. <laughs>
2: That's pretty funny.
4: He flips it around. They're like, "What language is this?" And Willie goes, "What language is this? French?" <laughs> they got they got chili dogs over there. <laughs> so they're. But never mind. I'll order.
3: <laughs> so <clears throat> there, Jake uh, gives him a toast. Willie has some wine. He drinks a little of it, gargles it, <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's like swishes
3: it around in his mouth, and then Jake looks down, and he sees a couple, yeah. and he's staring at them, and. The, Ricky wants to know what he's doing, and he says, that's my wife. Does she know that? Does she know that? I mean, mm-hmm. she would have been if I hadn't messed things up. Well, who's that guy she's with? And Willie says, I don't know. He's not wearing a name tag. And <laughs> Rick says very helpfully, you want me to drag him out of here, and kick the shit out of him?
4: <laughs> Thanks, Rick.
3: So that, the woman is Renee Russo.
4: The great Renee Russo. Yes,
3: the great, beautiful Renee Russo, who we yes. we all know from you know all the movies she's been in, like she was in the Thomas Crown Affair with Pierce Brosnan. On, on, yeah. on. Eventually. Do you know how many movies she had made before Major League?
2: Hmm.
4: Um. She was born in Burbank, so that tells me Hollywood background. How many movies? Let's see. Uh, uh, it's going to be either like two or 75. So I'll say 10.
3: (laughs) She was a supermodel. This was her first
4: movie ever first. Okay. So it's going to two. Okay. Very
3: good. In fact, the first scene she ever shot in a movie is the scene just a little bit later in this when Jake goes to, she's a librarian Mm -hmm. where Jake goes to see her at the library, which they filmed at Northwestern because apparently there are no libraries in Milwaukee. They had to go to Evanston for a library.
4: That's probably true by the way, yes. but okay. Yeah.
3: Uh, it's just, uh, it's brat cookbooks. That's all they have in the libraries <laughs> in Milwaukee. You have to go, if you want a real book, right. you have to go to Evanston. Uh, right. You, and so Tom Berenger tells us. We
4: We've got the brat section on the left and the herds on the right. Right. Every, right. Both kinds, country and Western. Well,
3: that might be in the kielbasa section. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Right. Um. So, Tom Berger tells a story about the, that is very challenging for her first scene to be that one. It's a long scene, with a lot of yeah. dialogue.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: They filmed that day for seventeen hours. Oh my god! Uh, yes, he said she was. He goes, I was very impressed with how good she was in it, but she got so stressed and tired that she was just randomly crying.
4: <laughs> let, me tell you, let me tell you about that. What I, think, what I think a lot of people understand is that when you're shooting a scene in a movie or a TV show like that, there are like 50 Teamsters on the set looking at you like I want to get the fuck out of here. Don't fuck this up, you moron. <laughs> so I'm sure that was what was going on in, in her head. It was like, I just, I don't, I just, I, I want to get this done. I don't want anybody to be mad at me. It's very, very intimidating. So good, good for her for doing that. That is an incredible challenge.
3: Yeah. Uh, the scene in the restaurant, um, she, waiter comes over and tells her she's got a phone call. She goes to the phone and she's on it and it's Jake. Right. And she's like, how did you know I was here? I said, well, that's the place I took you when you got – I don't remember what it was. Right. I'll bet you're wearing that black dress with the red sash. And she's like, I didn't even have that dress when we knew each other. And then she looks up, and there he is. Right. And it's very funny. She stays on the phone while she's talking to him. He's standing right in front of her, and he looks over, and her boyfriend is looking, and he's like, I don't think he's buying the phone bit anymore. And she's still talking into the phone, even though she's talking to Jake, who's standing two feet in front of her. So that
4: was funny. Right. It's not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe.
3: Um, he asked for a phone number. She gives him a, fo- she gives him a phone number. It's
4: 555-1934. Mm. <laughs> Which, again, kids, whenever you're a movie, you gave a phone number in those days. Yeah. There was no area code. It was only seven digits, and it always started with 555. Yeah,
3: and it's some kind of scrapyard or something when he finally calls it. but uh, Right. Yeah, she gave him a bogus phone number. <sighs> so now we're to opening day. And Lou has to give a speech. He's got to get the guys fired up for Mm -hmm. the season. They're all sitting around in the clubhouse.
5: I'm not much for giving inspirational addresses. I'd just like to point out that every newspaper in the country has picked us to finish last. The local press seems to think we'd save everyone a lot of time and trouble if we just went out and shot ourselves. Me, I'm for wasting sports writers' time. So I'd like to hang around and see if we can give them all a nice big shitburger burger
4: So let's see if we can give an old big old shitburger burger I think that was every Don Zimmer preseason speech ever. Probably, yeah. Same one. Yeah. And then Chelsea Ross asked for a prayer, yes. and it, <laughs> of course. Which is great because as soon as he asked for that, Dorn
3: stands up holding a newspaper
4: and says, yeah. I'll
3: be in my office. I'm going to go take a dump before the game starts
4: and waves the paper. So just in case there was any doubt, you were wondering, yes, he's going to take a trip. <laughs> <check." laughs>
3: yeah. Cause Chelsea has to tell you they need a prayer because as he says, we're not all savages like Serrano. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: uh and and at the and he starts his prayer and at the end and and as we gird up our loins <laughs> take the field of battle serrano blows something up in his locker and all the sprinklers go off
3: and to which then harris yells jesus christ serrano <laughs> okay shit Do we try this again <laughs> which i want to do with every every uh Anytime I ever have to give, like, grace to Thanksgiving or whatever, is start with, okay, shit, can we try this again?
4: (laughs) We should start with, we need to gird up our loins for this week. (laughs) So now for the first time in the movie,
3: we meet Harry Doyle.
6: Hello again, everybody. Harry Doyle here welcoming all you friends of the feather to another season of Indians baseball. A lot of new faces in Chief Wahoo's tribe this year as they take on the defending American League champs, the New York Yankees. And hopefully we'll have some of the names that go with those faces before their first at-bat. Anyway, listen to the roar of the crowd as the Indians take the field.
4: In in honor of this, I know the folks at home can't can't see it, but I have my bottle of oh, scotch yes. here at the ready. Because Bob Euchre Harry Doyle with a full bottle of Jack. <laughs> and he actually,
3: during the first stuff he says in the movie, you see him, he takes the cap off the Jack Daniels, he pours them into a cup, and there's a little left on the rim of the bottle. He takes it with his finger, and he wipes it behind his ear like it's cologne. Classic. Does a little, all right, there we go. Oh, slick,
4: yep, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so
3: he does all the little preamble stuff, and then he says, the Indians are ready to come on the field. He goes, listen to the roar of the crowd as the Indians take the field. And there's, like, like two people clapping. And somebody yells very half-heartedly, charge. <laughs> he
2: goes,
3: yes, sir. They love this club in Cleveland.
4: Hey, they love this club here in Cleveland.
3: So Harris is the opening day starter. As I guess he would, because... We only know two pitchers on the whole team, so it's either got to be him or Ricky. Right. It's going to be him. <coughs> he gets out of it, uh, gets out of a jam in the first inning with a nice fly ball to center field. Willie Mays Hayes runs under it and makes a nice little basket catch.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Harry Doyle, very impressed. The crowd claps. He comes over, and then there's the great scene where <coughs> there's Lou to meet him at the top step of the dugout.
6: Kellner delivers. Here's a swing and a high fly ball to center field. Hayes under it. makes a basket catch, Willie Mays style, and the side is
5: retired. All right, look out there. Nice catch, Hayes. Don't ever fucking do it again.
3: Harry says, a lot of people say you can tell a lot about how the season's going to go by the first hitter. Which is great, because as soon as he says it, Willie checks his swing, barely hits the ball, and yells, oops! (laughs) 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 But he beats it out. Actually, it kind of slowly rolls towards the second baseman, and Willie beats it out. And the way uh, way Harry narrates
6: it is about bottom of the first, and Willie Mays Hayes to lead it off for the Whigwompers. A lot of people hey. say you can tell how the season's going to go by the first hitter of the year. Brewster into the wind and comes to the plate. Oof. Hey, here's a hot shot toward the hole. Rudy knocks it down, fires the first. Late Hayes beat it. Hey! give Rudy a credit for sacrificing his body on that racket. That guy's got a family to think about. So Hayes becomes the first Indian in 15 years to lead off the season with a hit. And then the great, we don't know where Hayes played
3: last year, but I'm sure he did a hell of a job.
4: I'm sure he's terrific. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, so now we see Willie having a conversation with the, uh, the Yankees' first baseman, Clue Haywood.
4: Once again, setting things up the great we, We're introduced to Clue Haywood
3: Clue Haywood, played by 1982 American League Cy Young Award winner Pete Vukovic And I don't know how he didn't win all of the Oscars
2: He should have won them
3: As Clue uh, He refers Several times in the movie to uh, Both Willie and Rick Vaughn Simply as meat Knock the crap
4: out of that one
5: Well, oh, I plan to get at least a double out of this I bought a hundred of these
6: one for every base I'm gonna steal. Well, maybe things will turn around a little for the Indians this batting, year. <laughs>
0: Number seven, catcher, Jake Taylor. Excuse me,
6: gotta take my first step toward the Hall of Fame. My oh, yeah. We don't know where Hayes played last year, but I'm sure he did a hell of a job. Brewster running from the stretch, Hayes with a good lead. You look real sharp, but it's hard to steal second base with your shoe untied. Quick move to first. He got him. Hayes is picked off.
3: So there's a great thing when he first gets the hit, they have a shot of Harry sitting in the booth and you can see the, the sports writers in the booth next to him. And as soon as he gets hit, he, he looks over and gives him a thumbs up and they all give him a thumbs up back. But then Willie immediately gets picked off and he turns and looks into the booth and all the sports writers are giving the old Michael Keaton. <laughs>
4: <Yeah. They'll jerk laughs> out. ever will jerk outside.
6: <laughs> well, so much for that. Personally, I think we got hosed on that call.
3: Actually, I don't think. Actually, I think I'm wrong. I don't think um, Eddie Harris pitched the opener. I think it was Kellner, because
6: whoever Kellner is, because when he comes out, um, Harry says, "Top of the sixth, and rookie sensation Ricky Vaughn on the pitch." Now you can close the book on Kellner. Thank God.
4: <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that's it. Ah, okay. Pretty but good.
6: Ricky
3: comes in for yep. probably the most famous scene in the entire movie.
6: Vaughn, a juvenile delinquent in the offseason in his Major League debut. I'm gonna light your ass up, me! Vaughn into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Ball four. Ball eight. Low and Vaughn has walked the bases loaded on 12 straight pitches. Boy, how can these guys lay off pitches that close?
4: Yeah, of course, the pitchers are not close Right, enough. they're
3: all... Jake has been doing a lot of running to the backstop. Right, right. <laughs> so then we get... Clue Hayward gets his first at-bat, and apparently David Ward told uh, Vukovic, mm. he said, when you come up to the plate, just uh, say something that a ball player would say.
2: Okay.
6: Hey Taylor, what are you doing back up here? Ah, couldn't cut it the Mexican way. That's your wife from my kids.
2: Yeah,
4: there you go. <laughs> That very much sounds like a 1989 baseball player. So uh, he hits the next pitch
3: for a Grand Slam, approximately 12 miles. Vaughn
6: kicks, fires. Here is a swing and a drive toward left field and deep. Oh, boy. No way. No way. Too high. Too high. It is gone off the reservation. A Grand Slam home run for Hayward like a strike anyway.
4: Too high. <laughs> too high. One of my too favorite high. lines. Too high. Yeah.
3: <laughs> too high? What does that mean, too high? Well, at first it looked like it was too high, and then another <laughs> guy just yells from the back, who gives a shit? It's gone.
4: <laughs> I would imagine that was a little improv scene, those guys, yeah. did. That was good.
3: Pepper leans over to Lou and says, well, it looked like a strike. <laughs> so progress for Rick after 12 straight balls.
2: Right. Got to find a <laughs> silver
4: lining. So, again, setting up the, the rivalry of Vaughn and Clue.
3: Next batter comes back. up, and Pepper and Lou are talking, and Lou's, you want to get somebody up? Oh, let's see what the kids has got.
6: Coleman steps in, a 281 lifetime hitter. Taylor with a sign, Vaughn into his motion, and the pitch. Oh! oh. Interesting. <laughs> About time,
3: it's 8 nothing.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and everybody's yelling, the up comes out, and throws Rick out of the game. And Rick says great things like, "He was right on top of the plate." <laughs> <laughs> and as he's yelling at the ump, he's literally being carried off the field. Grabs himself and yells, "Won't you blow me, ump?
4: don't You blow me, ump!"
3: Blow me, ump! Um, see Rick going down the tunnel, takes his glove and busts out a light bulb in the tunnel.
4: Yeah, in a dilapidated looking <clears throat> Cleveland tunnel.
6: And Harry he does the wrap up. So a tough start for the Erie warriors as they drop a heartbreaker to the Yankees nine to nothing. Post game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.
4: And by the way, if you notice the Jack Daniels bottle is empty. At that
3: <laughs> <laughs> Post
4: game is brought to you by ah,
3: Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.
4: The hell with it. So that all sets up this team sucks.
3: Yeah, they suck. So is this – my notes are so great, and I've seen the movie a thousand times. I should remember this. So is this the library scene then? Jake goes to see Lynn at the yes. library.
4: Yeah, it goes to the library, right.
3: Because at one point she mentions that um, – he says, he says something like, well, we were – it's like, what, did we ever, what have we ever seen each other? Right? So we were both world-class athletes, hot for each other. Mm-hmm. And she says she gave up being a world-class athlete three years ago. Right. like, well, how old is she? (laughs) Right. I mean, Jake is an old baseball player. Very. (laughs) And then we find, we get a little clue to it later where he mentions that she was an alternate on the 1980 Olympic team.
4: Mm -hmm. So this would have been nine years later. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't (laughs) know where that three comes from, yeah. Right. So he shows up at work and they get into a little argument. She tells him one of the things she likes about the new guys is she never found him in bed with a stewardess. She announces that she's getting married, and or before that he says, "I hated it def- about the stewardess." Yeah. She said, "Well, she-, she said she had a better body than you did, and I had to defend your honor." <laughs> Which Renee Russo scrubbed. that's bullshit. I have a much better body, body than she does. Yes, it's everybody it's else in the
3: library turns and stares <laughs> at
4: her. And Jake goes, "Hopefully, she does." <laughs> So we're setting this up to this relationship. Yeah.
3: So then this is great. We get um, now we see Rachel Phelps and um, Charlie Mm -hmm. giving us a little update on how things are going. She says they're bad, but they're not bad enough. They're 15 and 27, seven games out. And she says, maybe the problem is we're coddling them too much. Yes. So we see the Indians at the airport. Hmm. <laughs> and they've had to go out. They had to walk down the stairs onto the tarmac. And somebody yells, um, what is this, a jetway broken?
2: Yeah.
4: Right. They
3: look and they see this huge airplane and they're all excited.
4: Yeah. Well, Willie Mays, may say, oh, was 757 in Milwaukee. Great. I said, uh, no, no, no. 757.
3: That's your plane. And so
2: this <laughs>
3: sputtering propeller plane with Indian Express painted on the side of it comes up.
2: <laughs>
3: <clears throat> so they're on the plane. And at one point all you hear, it's dark, you just hear, oh no the first time you see him on the plane there's, they're in a, there's in horrible turbulence (laughs) and Harris is reading a Hustler and Serrano is sitting next to him and he does the sign of the cross and Harris leans over and goes, oh sure now you come around and he points up and goes, he's not fooled
1: he's not fooled
3: (laughs) so the (laughs) the next time you see him on the plane, it's
5: lightning now (laughs) All the Stewardess, Vaughn. I need one of those bags. There aren't any Stewardesses.
1: I wonder if there
4: are any pilots. That's a great line.
3: <laughs> oh, in between that, we get the. Uh, Harry tells us that Vaughn set a major league record with four wild pitches in one inning, which I think Craig Kimbrough broke last year in Cincinnati. <laughs> Pretty sure that happened.
4: He at least tied it.
3: So then you see uh, the guys in the bar, and this goofy looking guy comes up and asks Rick for his autograph. And Rick's like, Ooh, it's the first one of these. And he signs the ball, and the guy goes, Saw you on the news. You made their Hall of Shame. (laughs) Rick just kind of rolls his eyes, hands him the ball back. And Jake says, "Uh, You got to get used to it. You're a celebrity now. Mm
2: -hmm. And
3: Rick's like, A celebrity? You got to do something good to be a celebrity. And Jake says, Not if you do it colorfully. Which uh, we, f- America, found out a few years ago. Pretty.
4: <laughs> yeah, she did.
3: Pretty hard. Yes.
6: So they're on. A, they're on a road trip. They're not doing well, and we get the wrap up. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on. Let's say one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry. Nobody's listening anyway.
2: (laughs) So
3: Lynn had given Jake shit about never reading any of the books that she recommended, including Moby Dick. So now they see the guys. uh, This is a tremendous scene where (laughs) they're sitting on their bags on the tarmac. And you see the pilots working on the plane. These two really <laughs> old pilots. One of them is duct taping that's the great. propeller back onto the plane.
2: Yeah.
3: <sighs> and the other guy, I, never, I didn't notice this the first few times I see it. There's the other guy that's got like these huge, he's got like the plans to the airplane out. And he's just, <laughs> he's looking at the plans and so he's looking in the engine. And he does it like three times. <laughs> he doesn't do anything else. Like, I don't know.
4: <laughs> That's great.
3: But the guys are reading comic book versions of classic books.
4: Right. Um, Jake has Moby Jake's Dick.
3: Jake's reading Moby Dick.
4: yes, Right. Which,
3: again, comes back later. And he says something to, uh, and this, well, have you gone to see her? It's like, I don't even know where she lives. He's said, well, just, you know, just follow her home from work.
4: So now Jake sure. is officially a stalker. Right. He has, it does feel very it, it does feel very stockish. So you see I'll Lynn's like,
3: car pull up and then yes. a few seconds well, first later
4: he, First he says, what, what you mean sitting, like sitting in my car <laughs> like, doesn't sound a little mature? And we <laughs> <everybody's like>,
1: say, yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and then he comes, right, he follows her home. Or He's
3: got this he huge blue piece of shit. A, a blue it. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: I didn't know notice this the first time I see it. Lynn, when you see the car pull up, Lynn's car She's a librarian. Her license plate says, read. Nice. Yes.
4: Like that little little PSA in the movie. So
3: he watches her go into the place. And you think he's going to go right in, but he doesn't. He goes to right. a bar, and you see him drink a beer, and he's trying to get up the courage. He's like, all right, fine, fuck it, I'm going. Right. <clears throat> so he goes in, and the first of several times this happens
2: he leaves,
4: he leaves a $1 tip yeah, he a, yeah
3: so, right. he's got, his, he got like the $10. And he's like tapping it on the thing. He just leaves it.
4: It's a dollar.
3: But the first of several times this happens where Jake just walks in to wherever she is. Yeah. Just has free access to where she goes. He gets on the elevator. The elevator not only opens to the apartment, it opens like, it's like Frasier. It opens into the apartment, not through a hallway. He's right. in the apartment as soon as the door opens. I don't think that's how they're supposed to work. I think no, unless you don't. have like a key... That gets you to that floor. You can't just like get on this. Go to the sixth floor and walk into somebody's apartment. But he does. He walks in. He sees her. She's mortified that he's there. She -hmm. has to tell him that it's it's not her apartment.
4: Right, there's a little dinner party going on. The Fiancés,
3: and uh, so he gets asked why he's there, uh, and he wants to discuss some books with Lynn. And he's ready to just leave. <clears throat> but the asshole boyfriend decides, uh-huh, I'm going to make a show out of this. And he invites him, sure invites him into the dinner party and basically grabs him and kind of shoves him into the party.
4: Yeah, to embarrass him. That's the goal. Too wants to embarrass him.
3: So he gets him in, has him sit down, asks him what he wants to drink, His a beer would be great. Guy goes to get a beer. He sits down, and there's this, there's this old couple on one side. And then on the other side, <clears throat> there's this redhead who <laughs> just is like fawning over jake the yeah, entire time you. like oh my We're god
2: lovingly yeah
3: and her <laughs> husband sitting next room. to her oblivious to the fact that she's just giving the eyes to jake the whole time right <clears throat> so there's complete silence for quite a while and then finally the old guy says
5: <clears throat> well uh, what team do you play for jake the indians
0: here in cleveland
5: mm-hmm.
0: i didn't know they still had a team yeah
5: we got
6: uniforms and everything really great
0: <laughs> <laughs>
6: well, they're in last right now but hopefully moving up AJ hey
2: <laughs> I've heard baseball players make very good salaries these days
5: well that depends on how good they are I guess
2: how good are you
5: I make the league minimum
4: <laughs> yeah which uh, do you know what that was in 1989 I do Okay,
3: sixty eight
4: thousand dollars. Exactly, and do you know what that translates in today's dollars?
3: I don't. I know the average salary in nineteen was thirty thousand dollars.
4: Yep, and that translate today it's one hundred and forty five thousand. So now the actual league minimum is like what five fifty five seventy. Yeah, so that. Uh... It was a little dis- <laughs> a little, little disappointing there for Jake making 145 back then. Good salary, but nobody could it be making today.
3: So they finally he, he gets ready to leave, and um, <clears throat> the he tells the oh, I'll keep in touch. I, I know you're uh, I know you're really interested in my in my f- fortune or or my fortunes. He says. Well, I just want yeah. to let know what she'd be missing. Yeah. Stay away from her.
4: Suck my dick. What a great line. (laughs) (laughs) There are some, you know, for 1989, there's some harsh, some harsh language in here. You should blow me up.
3: Okay, so now we get to the point where um, Lou is going to send Ricky down. More control problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, he notices that he says, he's giving him the whole pep talk. There's a lot of debate about this because he says... Louie says, well, take Ryan there. And he points at this picture that he can't really see. Right. And there's, there's discussion. Does he ma- is it a picture of Nolan Ryan? Which I think is what most people assume. That's what I always assumed, yeah. David S. Ward said he named, he based the character on Ryan Duran, who, who was a hard-throwing Yankee pitcher who had terrible control, who Ryan Sandberg is actually named after. Okay. But there are other people who claim if you look at the picture closely enough, it's Sandy Koufax which makes no
4: sense. And he calls him Ryan. Right. Okay. And then the fourth option is, was it Ryan Dempster? (laughs) Yeah.
3: Take a look look at the Ryan. You'll never figure (laughs) it out. That fucker never learned how to throw a strike.
4: Guy's going to try to become a stand-up one day. You don't want to. It's going to be ugly. But
3: Rick clearly can't see the picture, just like we can't, but he really can't see it. So then... um, Lou gives him a very sophisticated eye test. Writes some <laughs> letters on a legal pad and holds it up. At first, I'm yeah. like, does he think he can't read? And then he realized he just can't see. It.
4: Yeah. The letters, the letters were LPRC. <laughs> and I don't, there's nothing, there's nothing accidental in a movie. So I I I was trying to figure out what does LPRC mean? And I couldn't figure it out. But that'll I wonder, I do wonder what it means. It's LPRC. I don't know. I don't know. Let's go for the listeners. Okay.
3: They can fill us in.
4: Yes. You guys figure that out and tweet us.
3: So then we get the glasses. Right. Then we get the shot of Ricky with the terrible glasses on. And another perspective. You see him put them on, and then you see the rest of the scene from his perspective. And it's Lou and Harris and uh,
1: Willie. Oh, man. They look nice. I had a pair just like them. Well, after the game, I'm gonna pick out a pair that's more me.
5: Good luck. They look good. Besides, seeing's the most important thing, son. I don't think it's that important. Not that important. Yeah.
3: Okay, so the thing—he clearly couldn't see where the shit. But in the rest of the movie, he only wears the glasses when he's pitching.
4: That's a problem. Shouldn't yeah.
3: he have had? Shouldn't he have worn them everywhere? Because he just couldn't see.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't.
3: Yeah. I mean, he upgrades to the black glasses with the skull and crossbones on them and stuff. But you would think he'd have glasses on
4: for the rest which of the Yeah, which you'd think he'd want to wear because those are kind of cool glasses.
3: So we had been told, Harris had been warned that it would be very bad to drink Joe Boo's mm. rum. Very bad. Very bad. <clears throat> but Harris is the last guy in the clubhouse. He walks by and he sees it. He takes a shot of Joe Boo's rum. Yes. And then he heads out onto the field.
4: Feeling oh, we have good. One, well, we have one of the best lines in the movie right there, too. Up, up, up your, your butt,
5: Joe Boo. Up your butt, Joe Boo.
3: So he's walking. The guy's taking batting practice. He's walking along. He goes, yo, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill. Guy taking <laughs> batting practice loses the bat. It's Addison Russell. Loses, loses the bat. <laughs> And it hits Eddie right in the head. So then, then there's just a great shot of him in the dugout during the game with an ice
4: pack, holding an ice pack on top of his head. Now, did you notice that that line, yo, bartender Joe Boo needs a refill, that was added. That was added audio later because Chelsea does not say that in the movie. His lips do not move as he's walking out. Yeah. So they, somebody thought, we need a line here, and they came up with a pretty damn good, good one to add. But that was added afterwards.
3: So Ricky is pitching in
4: the game, and is pitching very well.
3: We don't know if he started or he came in late in the game, but the whole idea is there's two outs in the ninth. Harry says, you know, can Ricky finish the game? And there's a ground ball hit just to Dorn's left that Dorn makes kind of a half-assed attempt at, and it goes through for a single, so it doesn't end the game.
6: Dorn didn't get much of a jump on that ball, Monty. But let's give him credit. At least he didn't spike himself.
4: This <laughs> is a great line and, and Euchre did improv a lot of these lines he made a lot of this stuff up and, he, and he's great at it
6: so
3: Jake comes out to the mound reminds Ricky of the situation there's two outs whatever blah 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 and Ricky's just pissed
6: come on Rick get tough this guy's a first ball hitter you gotta come up with something nasty fucking Dorn this game should be
1: over by now he could've had that ball he tanked it on purpose
6: this isn't the California penal league Vaughn we're professionals here We don't tank plays for personal reasons, so cut the crybaby shit. Now, you pitched a hell of a game. You want to finish it, don't you? Yeah. All right. You think you can throw a strike on this pitch? There's not going to be much on it. My arm feels like jello right now. Just get it over the plate. I want him to swing. (sighs) Last time I did that, the guy hit one that hasn't landed yet. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it.
4: Right, right. So that's fine. I want him to swing.
3: Jake heads back for a great scene in the movie. where the batter is Mike Rexman, the great Mike Rexman, Mm -hmm. fictional superstar
6: for the A's.
5: 27, right fielder, Mike. Hi, Rexman. Rexman.
6: Hell of a situation we got here. Two on, two out. You guys trailing by one in the ninth. You got a chance to be a hero on national television, if you don't blow it. By the way, I saw your wife at the free lounge last night. Hell of a dancer. You must be very, very proud. That guy she was with, I mean, I'm sure he's a close personal friend and all, but tell me, what was he doing wearing her panties on his head? Swung on and popped up. Oh, actually, I don't think this one's got the distance. Taylor under it. He's gotten, and this ball game is over as the Indians hold out yeah. for a 3-2 victory. Starting to come together, Pepper. Starting
4: to come together. Yeah. <laughs> Another great line. I don't think this one's got the distance. So now we meet.
3: We meet Roger Doran's wife. Yeah. Because she's answering the door. Jake is coming in and Jake wants to see if wants to know if he can talk to Roger and where is Roger at in his house? Did you catch this?
4: His solarium. He's
3: in the solarium. Of course he's <laughs> in the solarium.
4: This is great.
3: Where he's sitting on wicker, wicker furniture, watching some financial channel. Right. And, uh, Jake goes in and yells at him, um, for not getting to that ball that he says that ball Riker hit in the ninth. There's a problem with that. When you rewatch it, the batter was somebody named Alcantara. So unless his name was Riker Alcantara,
2: hmm.
3: Jake got the wrong guy. But the thing I found on the internet that was correcting this got it wrong because they said the Riker was the next batter, the guy who popped up. But we know that was the great Mike Rexman. Great, yeah. Because huh. Jake calls him by name, and when he pops up, you can read Rexman on his back. <laughs> So ah. the movie screwed it up and the pompous dickheads on the internet correcting it also screwed it up.
4: Huh. There should be a term for that.
3: But we got it right. We got it right. Jake basically tells Roger to, um, as Roger basically says, I can't risk injury to this property and points to his face. A lot, of, a lot of plans for things after baseball. Jake basically tells him if he doesn't suck it up and start playing, uh, he's going to slit his throat and pull his nuts out through his throat or whatever <laughs> it is. And then there's right great. Right, as right. he turns to walk out, Roger's wife is holding like a tray with tea on it, and just <laughs> kind of looking like, "What just happened?"
2: Like coffee.
4: So, now uh, Roger's wife. By the way, real quick, her name is Stacy Carroll. Do you know the the ne- the uh, the ne- the next movie she did after Major League? She didn't do any.
3: Oh, that was it. She went out on top.
4: That was it. She, she participated in, in the Comedy Central roast of Charlie Sheen in 2011. <laughs> she
3: and she still, told him he was a great kid. She probably told him.
4: Yeah, that. she probably did. And she still has a star meter on IMDb of like 15,000, which is incredibly high. Well, yeah, that was her one and only, basically her one and only movie. Yeah. Well, she I mean, knocked. She she made it. It was worth it. Yes, it was. Absolutely.
3: One of my favorite lines, <clears throat> which I, I use in reference to this podcast. I paraphrase it, but uh, Harry is hosting his little call-in show.
6: Hello again, all you Wahoo maniacs. This is Harry Doyle welcoming you to another edition of Teepee Talk. Hi, hey, in case you haven't noticed, and judging by the attendance, you haven't. The Indians have managed to win a few here and there. And are threatening to climb out of the shutter.
3: He says, in case you haven't noticed, and judging by the attendance, you haven't. You haven't. Because now the Indians are actually playing well. Then we get the um now we get the third and final of the three act thing. You no, know, they could be a lot
0: worse. You know these
5: guys ain't so
0: fucking bad.
6: They're
4: still shitty. <laughs> Which is great.
3: Um, Where Lou Needs a hot
4: He needs to get in the tub These old bones need to <laughs> soak
3: And Roger tells him It's broken again And Lou is not
4: having it I'm and sick they, and tired of
3: this
5: nickel and
4: dime bullshit Tell mind. that bitch I want to talk to her
5: Oh boy This old body can use the soap Yeah well forget it because it ain't working again Damn it I thought they were going to replace this thing
6: Hey! No hot water in
5: here! I've had it with this nickel and dime stuff! I'm gonna get that bitch on the phone.
0: You wanted to talk to the bitch? Yeah. Don't you think you ought to cover yourself with a towel first, Mr. Brown?
5: We're out of towels, and I'm too old to go diving in a locker.
0: I can take it if you can.
5: So they're complaining about
3: all the stuff they don't have, and right. uh, all the stuff's not oh, working, huh? and she's basically right. telling them. Um, attendance sucks and there's no revenue and we can't afford anything, which is, I assume is the conversation Tom Ricketts has with the Cubs like six times a year.
4: Probably. Yes. Yes. Now, I don't know if Tom will do the thing where she, she actually knocks on somebody's <laughs> cup. <laughs>
3: he does that to Wilson Contreras. <laughs> and, uh, so then we get to see how they've improvised. So is it Lou? Somebody's in the tub. But now the tub, Jake is in the tub. tub. You can tell they're in Milwaukee because it's a farm and fleet, (laughs) galvanized cattle tank. That's what he's in. And they have an outboard motor in the greenest water you've ever seen. And they're just firing it up. And that's the dude.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And then it starts on fire, which is great.
3: So game, then we see the game end, and the guy Indians win. They're congratulating each other. Jake looks up. And he sees Lynn sneaking out of the stage, you know, yes. heading and she looks and I don't I don't she doesn't see him, I don't think. But he sees her.
4: He sees her. This kind of this had a little bit of the natural feel to it. So right, he, he
3: runs out. He runs out of the stadium and he still got his shin guards on
2: mm-hmm.
4: and
3: he turns to one of the stadium guys and he goes, um, my car's on the other side of the stadium. Um, where can I get a ride? And of course, what are you going to do? The guy makes the perfect suggestion, why don't you just take the bullpen car?
4: (laughs) It's the best.
3: The the golf cart that has a fake Indians hat on it and bats that are
4: holding up the hat. It's just tremendous. By the way, every major league team should have that car. They should bring that back. That's definitely something they should bring back.
3: It's amazing that at some point, they're like, yeah, it's a long way from the bullpen. (laughs) I think maybe we should drive the professional athletes in. Why should they have to walk or jog?
4: We'll just drive them in. That'll be great. What are we driving? You know
3: that the original bullpen cars were real cars, and they were a sponsorship. And then after a while, groundskeepers are like, "You can't drive a real goddamn car on the field." And then they switched to the golf carts, but they still had to dress them up.
4: (laughs) Charlie Charlie Finley had the original bullpen car, probably.
3: So we see the we see Lynn's car with the Reed license plate again. Pull up. In front of a different house, so you're at least confident that she's not at the boyfriend's. And then up comes, at least it's got headlights. Yes. It's Kind of street street. legal.
4: It's street legal.
3: And there's Jake in full uniform. He's he's at least gotten rid of the uh, shin guards at this point, but he still has the rest of his uniform still on. And now for the second time in the movie, he just just coming up the stairs in her house somehow.
4: There are no doors on any house that Lynn is in. He just
3: walks up. In full yeah. uniform. <laughs> and so they have some, They have this long conversation, and she tells him, um, she confirms to him now. that she's getting married, and he asks if he's going to get invited to the wedding, and she says, of course. What? Why would they?
4: <laughs> that would make no sense, but okay.
3: And then they start making out, and right. he does the completely, not, no pun intended, the baller move. She tells him that the zipper is stuck on her skirt. So he reaches up he reaches his foot up with his spikes, hooks the skirt, and pulls it down with the
4: spikes. It's badass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then as they're going at it, she goes, Did you ever read Moby Dick? This <laughs> <laughs> is cover to cover, baby. Cover to cover, babe.
3: Cover to cover, baby.
4: <laughs> she asks him, like,
3: who was the I've never read Moby Dick. She asks like who who was the villain or whatever, and
4: it was Creek coffin. She I
2: don't
3: even know what it him. is
4: but he proves that he is worthy of her love because he did read the book so we see that where that's headed
3: but he wakes Uh, up in the morning in her bed but she's gone she's off to the library she's a working woman she's got to go to the library
4: Right.
6: now we get to the point where they're playing the Yankees Wild thing Vaughn rubbed up in his only other appearance against the Yankees in a little jam here He fanned Burton to open the inning walks Saslow gave up a double to Billy left Which will bring up Haywood who leads the league in most offensive categories including nose hair <laughs> when this guy sneezes He looks like a party favor Taylor they released you yet Haywood's a convicted felon? Isn't he money? Uh, doesn't really say it here. Well, he should be Vaughn among the league leaders in strikeouts. Now up on the rubber and ready to work. And from the windup, here he comes. it swings and crushes one towards South America. Tomlinson's going to need a visa to catch this one. It is out of here, and there's nothing left but a vapor trail.
3: <laughs> but we find out that's the only game they lost on the road trip. Right,
4: Lou sitting dreaded, in the the dreaded Yankees.
3: Lou sitting in the in, in his office in the visiting clubhouse. Charlie walks in <clears throat> and
4: uh, spills the beans. This is the big reveal for Lou. Right. Right.
3: But he tells him, he tells him what a great job he's doing. And he's like, well, we're 60 and 61. I can't be that great job. And he's like, well, with this, with this team, it is. And mm-hmm. uh, Lou says, you know, there's a lot of talent on this ball club. The there's veterans are playing back to form and the rookies are developing faster. than I thought there's two or three potential all-stars
4: in there. There's a lot of talent in this team, Charlie. I think then, we're
3: a contender right now. Right now. Charles says, you really believe that, don't you? I do. All we need is something to bring it all together.
1: And then Charlie and then says,
3: says Rachel, Rachel Phelps will never allow that to happen.
2: Right.
4: And then Lou says, Charlie, did you seriously not remember the fact that I managed the Mudhens for 30 years? <laughs> he doesn't say that, but that would have been great. crazy. To like, this. Toledo? Is that, what, is, what is Toledo? Yeah. So now Lou has to address the team and tell them what's up.
3: Right. So they're all sitting. They've all pulled their chairs up there in front of him. And he says, your attention, please. Because that's how you start those speeches. That's <laughs> your attention, please. Yeah.
5: Can I have your attention, please? I have something I think you all ought to know about. It seems that Mrs. Phelps doesn't think too highly of our worth. She put this team together because she thought we'd be bad enough to finish dead last, knocking attendance down to the point where she could move the team to Miami and get rid of all of us for better personnel. Even me? Even you, Dorn. What if we don't finish last? She'll replace you with somebody who will. After this season, you'll be sent back to the minors or given your outright release.
1: Well, then I guess there's only one thing left to do. What's that? Win the whole fucking thing
3: win the whole fucking thing.
4: Yeah, and that's a PH fucking too, by the Man, way.
3: Oh. The whole fucking thing. Right. So then we see Lou <clears throat> uh, goes, gets a prop. Yes. It's not immediately. He didn't just have because, it in the back.
4: He goes to the Cleveland Indians Art <laughs> Department. <laughs> that's them to whip this up for him. So
3: it's a cutout of the owner <clears throat> and she's got a little bubble coming out of her mouth that says you guys stink. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I figure it's going to take 32 more victories to win this thing. And every time we win, we peel a section. And He pulls off one that reveals her shoulder. Right. So they were 60 and 61. So Lou was figuring that um, they need to go 92 and 70 to win the AL East. So this is 1989. The real Indians in 1989 went 73 and 89 and finished 6th. There were seven teams in the division. The Tigers were a robust 59-103. and 103. Wow. Jesus.
4: Tanking before was cool.
3: The Blue Jays won the East with 89 wins. So Lou wow. was pretty close to being right. Pretty close. Now we get one of my favorite montages in any sports movie ever. There's just something yeah. about the music, the way it's cut together, the... The way they use, like, the newspaper covers to let you figure out where they are in the race. Yes. Um, You see, while we see uh, Dorn's taking grounders and just letting them smash into him, and he's begging for more.
4: Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's reminiscent of Rocky, right? They're they're This is their, yeah. now they're getting their shit. Thorne
3: takes off his shirt and it's just welts all over from all the balls. Yeah. He doesn't
4: care. They're getting it together. Right. It's Rocky drinking the, the raw eggs, getting ready to run up the steps.
3: So Willie steals home against the Tigers. And then we see him at home, nailing his gloves to the wall. He is, he has spray painted Willie Mays Hayes graffiti style over the top of his bed on the wall. Right. And he's nailing them on a paused pause and count it. He's got that's he's got sixteen pairs of gloves on the wall. Sixteen. That's it? He bought a hundred.
4: Wow.
2: Willie.
3: Um, then there's a shot of Jake getting crushed at home plate, which we now know was actually Steve Yeager. It wasn't actually Jake.
2: Right. Um,
3: and the newspaper says the Indians have pulled into second. And then we get the great American Express commercial,
2: oh,
4: which actually so sh-
3: should have been a real American Express commercial.
4: <laughs> it really should have been. The best again, part about it. Big... It's yeah. something most people don't. Know. Most people are younger than you know, right. ninety, <laughs> don't know what it is. But they used to do these American Express commercials, kids, and these were brilliant.
6: Hello, you know us. We're a major league baseball team. But since we haven't won a pennant in over thirty years, nobody recognizes us. Not even in our own hometown.
1: That's why we carry the American Express card. No matter how far out of first we are, it's cool. You know, it keeps us from getting shut out at our favorite hotels and restaurant-type places.
0: So you're looking for some big league clock. Apply for that little green home-run heater.
5: Look what it's done for us. People still don't recognize us, but... We're contenders now. The American Express card. Don't steal home without it.
3: And it's set up so they give, like, like, Lou. Lou sets it up, and then... Uh, Ricky says something about, you know, so we don't get we don't get shut out at our favorite whatever and restaurant type places. Hotel, yeah.
4: Hotel and restaurant type places.
3: Yeah. It's cool. Serrano has a line. And then Dorn, the guy who's going to have this great career, is just terrible. He's just <laughs> he's horribly. I, I, right.
4: He's the worst.
3: But then it ends with Willie, who we don't see sliding. They're all wearing tuxedos and in they're Indians hats. He slides into home, does the splits at home plate like tips his cap and says, the American express card don't steal home without it.
4: Which is a brilliant way to end that ad. That's a brilliant ad.
3: Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, watching as a kid, it's ridiculous. Nobody's ever going to slide in a home that way. Well, now we watch Javi Baez do that like four times a homestand.
4: That's true. Yes. Right. Yeah.
3: Uh, so we go back more montage. Yeah. Now we start to see people walking through Cleveland wearing wild thing. T-shirts.
4: Right, cleaning including,
3: including in like the first people you see are like they got spiky punk hair, or whatever. But then towards the end of the montage, there's these two old guys playing checkers in a bar, and one of them has the wild thing <laughs> shirt on. Yep, so the Indians are winning more games. Now we go back to Willie's bedroom, it's been on quite a tear. There's more than 80 pairs of gloves on the wall. <laughs> he stole 60 bases in like two weeks.
6: That's, That's gotta, like be, it's
3: gotta be some kind of record. <laughs> Um, okay, so then um, there's, a, there's an homage Now we know We've been led to believe That um, Jake Taylor is somewhat based on Carlton Fisk So mm-hmm. one of the most Iconic moments With Carlton Fisk, at least as a white sock Was um, A game against the Yankees In 1985 Where due to a base running blunder Fisk tagged two Yankees out at home on the same play.
4: I'll have to take your word for it. I remember nothing of Carlton Fisk as a, as a white sock. I actually, but have, the, sure actually right. have
3: the YouTube link here in the notes. <laughs> Ball went to the wall. Um, the first runner didn't take off right away thinking maybe it was going to get caught. So the second guy, I believe one of them was Dale Barra. And one of them is caught I and mean, was coked out of his mind. And one of them yeah. is caught up to the other one. The, they both come home, throw comes into Fisk. he tags the first guy and then looks, and there's another one coming, and he kind of like lunges at him with the ball in his hand, not even his glove, and like almost punches him with it for the out. Well, there's a scene in this one where um, the Indians have two guys coming home, Van Dyke, whoever that guy was. <laughs> Willie yeah. is behind him and has caught up to him. And so the catcher um, goes to tag Van Dyke and kind of misses him and turns, and Willie is sliding in on the other side of him. So it's like that exact same, it looks almost the exact same, except instead of them both being out, they're both safe.
4: Interesting. Okay, cool. Um,
3: Right, so the Indians actually tie the Yankees with the win in that game. Yep. And we see live coverage of the celebration. Right. Actually, first they're in the locker room, and they're all excited. And Jake reminds uh, Ricky and Willie they still got to win one game. They haven't won anything yet. So a very Tim Weigel looking uh, Cleveland sports reporter wearing a headdress.
4: Yes, he is very Tim Weigel looking.
3: As, as one was apt to do in 1989, apparently. Just, yeah, you know, that, the wore headdress.
4: headdress. Yeah.
3: Um, he's all excited and he's setting the stage about how they've won. They've tied the Yankees and they're celebrating, but they're going to be heading back to Cleveland for a one game playoff. And in the background of the shot, well, first you see you see, and you see Suzanne Dorn sitting on the couch, enjoying, you know, all excited. And mm-hmm. then they kind of zoom into the TV, and you see Roger with his arm around some other blonde, like giving mm-hmm. guys high fives or whatever, and just like right. leading her, patting her on the ass, and leading her out a door. So that's not good.
4: That's not good. That's not good.
3: So now they're on the plane, flying back to Cleveland, and Lou summons Ricky to the back of the
1: You wanted to see
5: me, Skip? Yeah, Rick. Have a seat. I just wanted to tell you that I'm starting Harris against the Yankees tomorrow. Even though I know it's your turn in the rotation, he's got a little more experience. A bit better record against the Yankees.
1: Yeah, I guess what's best for the team.
5: Don't read anything into it, Rick You're one of the guys that got us here.
4: Don't read anything into it, Rick. All right, so now we know it's Harris.
3: So they land in Cleveland and Jake just wanders right into Lynn's apartment again, right through the door. Except this time it's empty. So did she just leave it like leave the door open? Like she moved out of the apartment and didn't bother to lock or even close the door. (laughs) Who knows? then we see a very depressed Ricky sitting at a bar and this mm-hmm. pretty blonde sidles up to him. She leaves nothing <laughs> to be desired. And, but the great thing about it is as soon as she says it, he's holding a beer in his hand and he just goes, check,
2: check, check. <laughs>
4: check. <laughs> right. So she's off to get her revenge on her husband with Ricky. Yeah.
3: So then we see mourning and uh, she's slipping the red dress back on. And uh, Ricky goes, I don't think I ever got your name. And she goes, Suzanne. Suzanne Dorn. (laughs) Suzanne Dorn? Mrs. Roger Dorn. And she goes, So long. You're a great kid.
4: You're a great kid.
3: And she walks out, and Jake is standing in his underwear in the kitchen.
4: Right? Jake is everywhere.
3: She goes, Hi, Jake. (laughs) And he walks in, and Rick's just sitting on the bed holding his head in his hands. He goes, I didn't know who she was. I swear to God. Yeah. So they get to the ballpark and uh, Jake gives little advice. I don't know what Dorn's wife is up to, but I think it'd be best if you got dressed and out to the bullpen early before he gets here. And Dorn when he comes in, it seems all chipper, but he asks uh, he goes, "Jake, you seen Vaughn?" I don't know. Harris is warming up and who is perched on the rubber next to him in the bullpen?
4: Oh, Joe Oh, Joe Boo, of course. Joe Boo.
3: <laughs> He's gone full Joe
4: Boo. It's actually warming up. <laughs> up. That's right.
2: Uh.
3: Um, Harry is setting up the whole thing.
6: Hello again, everybody. Harry Doyle bidding you a big wahoo welcome from Municipal Stadium, where tonight, before a capacity crowd of 75,000 screaming featherheads, the fighting braves of the Cuyahoga will leave their teepees in search of Cleveland's first league championship in over 30 years. Standing in the way, their longtime nemesis, the New York Yankees. Trying to put the stop on the Yanks will be Eddie Harris, the Tribe's veteran right-hander. Honey, anything to add? Uh, no. He's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. All right, we're set to go. (laughs) So it's...
3: That whole final game is... Is genuinely cool, the way it's shot, and it, there's, a great con- there's, there's a great contrast to, and they shoot it from the exact same angle at opening day when Harry is like, here come the Indians, and you just hear the, the same yeah. angle, and uh, Lou has them all up on the top step, and he's like, "Ah, oh, let's go, and they all run out, and the place just goes nuts, and yeah. you know, even for a movie, you start to get goose. One of the guys, I think it was Dennis Haysbert talks about how he said, he was telling, like you, you, he goes, that's amazing, we really get goosebumps. And Steve Yeager said to him, he's like, um, he goes, yeah, we, we did that 162 times a year. Yeah, <laughs> Like, you know, he was just all excited to actually have fans in the stands when they came running out onto the field. Right. <sighs> um, yeah, but Harris is, is actually pitching well. He's going up mm-hmm. against um, whoever Jackson is.
4: Whatever Jackson. Jackson. That's right. De- Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's fantastic. Yes. One of the uh, best. We
3: find out it's scoreless in the top of the sixth, and that's when Willie uh, goes up over the wall to rob the homer from Williams, whoever that is, Bernie, I
2: suppose. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> um, but then uh, with two outs in the seventh, Burton hits a two run homer for the Yankees, to which Rachel as the crowd gets quiet, Rachel goes, that ought to shut these people up.
2: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> right. lady,
3: you, you've already exceeded the attendance. You're not going to Miami. Wouldn't it be in yeah, your it... vested interest now for them to
4: actually win something? At this at this point, you would think so, right? Yeah. They surpassed 800,000 50 games ago.
3: He's just being bitter. But now so yeah. the the Indians are down 2 nothing in the 7th. There's two outs. Dorn comes up. We find out that Dorn hit 271 in the season with 86 RBIs. Um... And uh, he hits a single to lead off the inning. And when he gets to first, he does this weird, like he turns to the dugout. And he does this like weird clap thing. Yeah. And now when I see him do it, I think of in uh, Game Two of the World Series when Schwarber got his got his first RBI hit, and he gets to first base. He turns around because the Cub dugout was on the first base side too. Yeah. And now we know he, during the game you could see him yelling. Well, now we know he was actually telling his future major, or his future manager, David Ross, to suck his dick.
4: <laughs>
3: so I always think that when I see it. Now. That's good. I like that. So now Serrano's up, and Harry tells us. All right.
6: That'll bring up Serrano, the big man with two away, and he represents the time run. How about Number 13, Pedro Serrano. Serrano hitless this tonight. As a matter of fact, he hasn't touched the ball yet. Serrano ready now. Here's the pitch. Swings and misses. He should have gotten a live chicken. Serrano digging in down a strike. Jackson gets his sign and comes set. Checks Dorn at first. Here's the pitch, a curveball, swung out and missed. Strike two, and Serrano wasn't even close
0: to that one. She tough now, Jobu. Look, I go to you. I stick up for you. You know, help me now. I say, fuck you, JoBoo. I do it myself.
6: And wants a new sign. Now he's got what he likes. Here's the pitch to Serrano. He swings and drives with the deep left. Way back, way back. This ball is gone. Yeah.
4: So we have the situation where Harris has gone full blown Joe yep. Boo and Serrano wants nothing to he has do with it.
3: Disavowed Joe uh, Boo during right the same this. game.
4: Yeah. Right.
3: So then this has always bothered me. Jackson looks in and has to shake like three times. Yeah. Serrano hasn't hit a curveball all season. And with an 0-2 no. pitch, the catcher doesn't want the curveball. So shake, 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 finally gets the curveball. And throws it to Serrano, who crushes it. Right. Now, there's two cool things about this. Well, three through. Obviously, it ties the game. Serrano, very iconically, rounds the bases while still holding the bat. Never drops the bat. <laughs> right. Carries it with him. And when he gets around third base, he actually holds his bat up over his head. Um, that is not illegal. You, you can. You only have to drop. It, it's legal on a home run to carry the bat with you. Um, okay. If the ball is in play, you can't have the bat. But if the ball is out of play, you can carry the bat. So he actually could have done that. So some player needs yeah. to do that. They need to do a Serrano and just keep the bat. Yeah. Uh, the third cool thing about it is Dennis Haysbert actually hit that home
4: run. Really? Yeah. Well, he hit the
3: shit out of it. Yes. Legitimately hit. They said every home run that you see Serrano hit, Haysbert actually hit it. Wow. Yes. They said he was, They were. they were astonished at how far he could hit a baseball.
4: Wow. So yeah. It's cool. And it's brushes.
3: funny because earlier in the game, actually it was the game against the white Sox. the double that scored the two runs, Dorn hits it and <clears throat> Corbin Burnson actually hit that, the ball and almost screwed up the take because he forgot to run because they'd been filming over and over and over again. He needed to hit a ball into the gap and he finally got one and didn't run right away. And they had to scream at him to run. So he didn't ruin the take. So they had to edit around it. So you don't notice right away that Roger doesn't run when he hits the ball. Yeah. So the crowd's going nuts and, um, we get back, we they go back to the owner's box that weird, like they sit, she's like sitting under the scoreboard in center field on like patio furniture. They're yeah. always drinking like some kind of, she's ready for Miami. She's always got like some kind of tropical drink right, and, right. uh, Charlie stands up and he's clapping and she goes, sit down, Charlie.
4: And Charlie just goes, Pfft. yeah, the raspberry. yeah. the raspberry gives her the raspberry, the raspberry. Yeah. You know, Charlie, maybe not the sharpest tool in the shed, as we learned.
3: Serrano comes out for the curtain call, still has the bat. (laughs)
4: He's not letting go. They
3: should have showed him, like, in the outfield, in the top of the night, still holding the bat. Like, he's just never going to put it down. (laughs) All right, now, so here's where we get to where, and I know you have thoughts about this. Here's where we get to the managing in this this huge play-in game is a little shaky from our Mm -hmm. beloved Lou Brown. Right. Uh, we get to the we get to the top of the ninth, and um, Harris is still pitching. God knows how many pitches he's thrown to this point. He's actually Twitter. actually he's Twitter. matched Jackson fit pitch for pitch because if you see the scoreboard in the top of the ninth, the Yankees have two runs and seven hits, and so do the Indians. So, nice. but he's still pitching, and there's a runner on when we catch up to him, and uh, he gives up a hit. Sazlo. Whoever that is, hits a double. It's a double. Now there's runners at second and third. And what does Lou say to Pepper, with uh, two outs in the ninth inning? Better get Vaughn up. Get, better get Vaughn up.
4: Now, <laughs> yeah. you, what? No one was warming up. Yeah, wait till the bottom <laughs> till the ninth inning. Two on, two out. Seventy-eight year old Ed Harris on the mound <laughs> has nobody warming up in the bullpen.
3: Although I guess apparently somebody must have been warming up. Vaughn must be added to him because well, I, I know him. what
4: you're saying. This because right. yeah, okay. yeah.
3: Because then uh, Harris pitches to Cheevers and he walks him on four pitches. You wouldn't want right. the reliever to have any margin for error, so it's good that he <laughs> walks. Now Lou finally comes out.
5: How's the whole, daddy. I'm a little tired. I'm throwing every piece of junk I can think of, Adam Skipper. I got enough left for one more hitter. Nah, you pissed a hell of a game man. Take a seat. We'll see if we can get this guy out for you. Good game, Eddie. Give me Vaughn. You want Vaughn? I know he hasn't done very well against this guy, but I got a hunch he's due.
3: Now, hopefully there was a righty and a lefty, because I don't think they could hear him in the bullpen just going, I want Vaughn. He singles for the right.
4: And then Jake
3: goes, you want Vaughn? So uh, apparently there was somebody else warming up out there too,
4: right? Yeah, I think you're giving him too much credit. I, I think, no, I think, you know, I think Jake genuinely couldn't yeah, just see didn't who, know was who was uh, in the bullpen. Right. And he saying for a right, he's like, Vaughn. You're like, Vaughn? Wow. And now we have the crowd. And let's talk about this crowd because it's me. Okay. <laughs> because we see the guys on the mound. They're dressed for a night in Cleveland in October. Yep. It's cold. They got the long sleeves on they're, They are dressed for cold weather. You look at the stands. Everybody there just came from the beach. <laughs> Everybody's in tank tops and shorts and T-shirts. And they're just, they're just, they couldn't, they could not be more not in Cleveland at night in October. It's such a, it really bothered me watching this, how they could let this happen. But you have, you have a backstory behind
3: this. Yes. So that was the summer of 1988, And I grew up on a farm in 1988 in the upper Midwest, in Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa. There was a horrible drought. And it was hotter than fuck all Mm -hmm. summer. So not only did it not rain, everything, you could just hear the crops, like, wither up and die because of...
4: (laughs) Right. Hotter than balls. Yeah. Right.
3: So they filmed... um, They filmed four days in a row in Milwaukee, um, four nights in a row for these scenes, Mm -hmm. Um, did basically an open call for fans to come. But one night in particular, they wanted as many as possible, and it was the night they did the final game. They got 27,000 fans to come after a Brewers game. Wow. They shot, um, so the next scene, so Lou has called for Vaughn and Taylor's like, you want Vaughn? And yeah. Lou, the understatement of the year goes, I know he hasn't done very well against this guy, <laughs> but I think he's due. <laughs> Clue Haywood is two for two with two home runs against Rick Vaughn. That's what he's bringing him in. So then Vaughn, the the outfield door opens up, out comes Ricky, wild thing gets cranked up on the thing, and the crowd goes nuts.
2: <laughs> they
3: shot that at 4 o'clock in the morning in oh. Milwaukee. And they had 27,000 people in the stands singing Wild Thing. And God knows how many times they played it.
4: Drunk, he drunk off their yes, ass. Absolutely. I'm
3: sure. But it was still hotter than balls, even at right. four o'clock in the morning, which is why all the fans are in, I mean, they're not just in shorts. They're barely wearing, like the women are wearing, like, you know, as, even in Wisconsin, oh, yeah. as little right. as possible because it's so hot. And that's why. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: but yeah, the players complained, the actors complained because. It's supposed to be October so the guys playing have like have long sleeve shirts under their jerseys because it's supposed to be cold the guys in the, the guys in the dugouts are wearing their jackets because they have to so obviously in between takes they're just you know, like taking clothes off cuz it's a damn hot but that's why right um, okay so it's-, it's the even 30 years later the Ricky coming out of the bullpen with Wild Thing playing and the crowd going nuts still gives me goosebumps.
4: I I wrote that down, too. I get goosebumps, too. It's It's so awesome. It's so well done. And um, so Charlie
3: Sheen to this day complains that he he and the movie don't get credit for closer entrances were not a thing.
4: Right. That's right. Trevor Hoffman to Hell's
3: Bells and... um, you know, right. you know why? To whatever whatever song he picks for the season or whatever that was not that's actually a thing
4: no they were right in their little bullpen cart yep right <laughs> yeah, and, that, cool and that became going, yeah. a
3: thing because baseball players saw major league and thought that was cool and so that's why you get you know that's why mariano rivera got to come out to enter sandman forever
4: right right, right because
3: right. of the the trail blazed by rick vaughn
4: yes oh well, you know he, charlie sheen is right about that that's a good point
3: so there's a lot of great stuff that happens after that So he comes out, he gets to the mound He's looking a little not A little less than confident And mm-hmm. Jake says to him This guy's the out you've been waiting your whole life for Which is pretty yes. cool right But right. the thing they're really worried about mm-hmm. Is <laughs> Roger Dorn So Jake gets yeah. back behind home plate And gets ready to get into a squat And Roger has come over And he's gotten to the mound
4: He's cut through the crap ball I only got one thing to say
6: to you. Strike this motherfucker out.
4: <laughs> Which is awesome. That's also a little goose bumpy.
3: Which is still something I say when, uh, you know, late in big games, through my TV to the cup. Yes. I only got this one thing to say to you. Out. Strike this motherfucker out.
4: <laughs> right. Okay. And the, so Ricky, now back to the... Now Ricky's on the mound and, and Jake... Does not call the fastball. He does not want the fastball.
3: Well, first but, after, so Roger just like slams the ball back in Ricky's mitt and goes back, and you just see Jake like, oh, "Thank God!"
4: So I relieve. Now
3: they can get to work.
4: This right. You know,
3: but yes, um, but it's funny because <clears throat> I didn't realize this. I just forget it. I realize it as I watch it. Um, Tom Barringer basically narrates the whole at bat.
0: I think so. First baseman.
6: Haywood steps in, the American League's triple crown winner. 341 average, 48 homers, 121 RBIs. He's homered the only two times he's faced one. All right, Richie, let's get nasty.
3: And the it's thing bad. I love about this is they don't waste any time with this at bat.
4: They don't, yep. You
3: know, first fastball is, I don't know, what is it, like 98 miles
4: an hour? 90, first one's 97.
3: 97. Haywood shut at the plate.
6: Vaughn from the windup. <laughs> Swim, Swim on the move. Move. <laughs> Tucker was moving, wasn't it? If it hit you leave a two-foot hole coming out. Okay, what should we call now? Let's see what the kid feels about the old number one. Wild thing delivered. <laughs>
2: 2 Right,
4: he throws on a number one. This one is 99. 99. Clue, Clue swings and misses. Yep. Smashes bat against the uh, the dirt. So now it's 0-2 and, and we see Lou in the
6: dugout.
5: Forget about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater.
6: Wow! Oh, shit.
5: All these pitches to choose from.
6: Maybe we ought to try something different this time.
3: And then mm. one, of the, one of the underrated things about this that I love. So we see Vukovic digging in as, as Clue Haywood, and he spits.
2: Mm. And then
3: Ricky starts his motion, and he spits again. It's like Javi blowing blowing a bubble while he's batting. The ball's in the air, and there's there's a great slow mo thing of Pete Vukovic spitting again.
2: Yeah, that's cool.
4: this one comes in at 101 101 with a swing and a miss uh, crowd the, the sunburned <laughs> uh heat is <laughs> yeah, <yeah>, right. wow. <laughs> going crazy and a little touch here now uh euchre's pa- partner bobby he starts to drink from the bottle of jack he goes, okay. can you believe
3: this Monty?" and Monty is g- grabs grabs the bottle of jack and just starts drinking right out of the bottle
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh, all right. Now Cleveland's up. and, yeah, and, and then,
3: So something happens. I don't think we get that doesn't get enough play. So there's one out and Tomlinson, who we only mm-hmm. know from before when he was going to need a visa to catch clue. Haywood's uh, home run. Tomlinson's up and he hits a ball that work Warburg who's playing right field for the Yankees has to jump up and basically pull off the top of the wall.
2: So yeah. Tomlinson almost won
3: yeah. the game. And right it's there. just like, oh, well, that's tough. Okay. So then this is weird. So that, that play, that apparently Horton is the Yankees manager. We don't get any first names, most of these guys, but Horton is their manager. Horton. Um, he sees Thompson almost hit a home run. Um, he's a lefty Jackson, the starting they're his starting pitcher also in, in the night. This is, this is John Smoltz and, um, uh, Jack Morris, apparently going pitch right. for pitch. Um, So the Yankee manager finally comes out to take it to to go to the bullpen. He had had um, his starting pitcher with one out in the ninth pitching to a lefty in a tie game.
2: Yeah,
3: but it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's fine. So he goes out. He signals for the closer to which Harry says, Horton, wasting no time. He's going to the Duke. What do you mean he's wasting no time? There's two outs (laughs) in the ninth. and He's finally bringing the closer. in. Finally, the Duke. I mean, this is Buck Showalter, Zach Britton stuff. It's like, oh, no, right. we can't use him until we get a lead.
6: The Duke leads the league in saves, strikeouts per inning, and hit batsman. This guy threw at his own kid in a father-son game. Now batting, yeah. number double zero, better right. fielder,
1: Willie Mays, Hay.
3: So Willie's up. So apparently Thomas was their ninth hole hitter. Willie's up, and he hits a chopper to shortstop. Um, and beats it. So now the yeah. winning run is on first base um, with two outs in the ninth. And so their lead footed catcher is apparently
4: their number two hitter. Right. Makes perfect sense, but still.
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs> so. And we already know, by the way, that Jake can barely run even tonight. He, earlier, yeah, right. game, earlier he he's, he's, right, he's right. grabbed
3: his hamstring after a ground out. Yeah. So he's, he's in tough shape. Very tough shape. Um, Willie's on first base, crowd's going nuts. And he's just like in the opener, he's standing on the base, putting his gloves on. Mm-hmm. And, he, and Clue Haywood says, Go oh, somewhere meet.
4: About 90 feet. 90 feet.
3: <laughs> we also find out that Jake is 0 for 12 lifetime against the Duke. Yeah, and the, good. And on the first pitch, Willie steals second. Uh, Jake does it's, swing
4: at it, though. I know. For some reason, Jake is swinging at the ball. Yeah.
3: Probably missing it intentionally, but trying to, to slow down the catcher. I'm sure that's what he yeah. was doing, he's doing.
2: Because
4: he's, he's, he's a savvy some
2: three Yes,
4: yeah,
3: yeah, right. Okay, so now the, the winning run is on second base with two outs. And, uh, well, they did a good job with this, too. They showed, um, on when Willie went to steal, they showed the third base coach, Steve Yeager, giving the signal and Willie confirming that he had seen it. So he takes off. So now we're kind of used to the fact, all right, we're going to see signs. Yes. But now with Willie at second, Jake is looking in the dugout and he's giving a sequence of signs to Lou.
4: (laughs) Because you always see the the hitter giving the signs to the manager. we
3: don't know what's going on. We just know that Lou goes... That's a hell of an idea, Tip! And he has all to right yell. He has to yell to his Duke, yeah, the third base right. coach, and then he gives signs. And Duke, yeah, very de- very
4: demonstrative right. set of signs. So like then, we all know, okay, something's up.
3: Right. So then Duke has to turn, and he has to give his signs to Willie, and Willie yeah. swipes across his chest to confirm that he's got the sign. Right.
4: Right. right. <clears throat>
3: and then, how intricate were these signs? They must have been pretty special because. Um, just like we saw earlier when he showed up on op- before opening day at empty Cleveland Stadium which is actually uh, County Stadium in Milwaukee and he called his shot and he hit the imaginary home run Jake right. is standing in
6: watch this Taylor is pointing to the bleachers he's calling his shot nobody's done this since Babe Ruth in the 32 World Series Hayes leads from second as Duke takes his stretch the pitch Look out! Down goes Taylor.
4: The Babe Ruth. Gary
3: Doyle goes crazy. No one has called their shots. It's Babe Ruth in the 32 World Series. Somewhere right. Charlie Root is spinning in his grave. Going that fat son of a bitch did not point at center field. That would have hit him if he had. Um, he absolutely did
4: not. Right, exactly. There's no way he did.
3: Right. And so um, <clears throat> Duke rears back to throw a pitch, and I'll give him credit. He really almost hit Tom Berenger with that pitch. I mean, he goes flying, and that ball really, like, zips right by his head on its way to the pitcher.
4: Now, here's my problem with that.
3: I wonder if you have the same question that I do.
4: Yeah, why wasn't
3: Willie running? Exactly. (laughs) That's why, how were the signs? Okay, he's going to fake on the steal, <laughs> on, the next, pitch, steal on the next not this pitch steal on the pitch after this pitch, yes <laughs> really right. should absolutely have been like two thirds of the way
4: to third. Yes, right. Yes, it made no it was, sense. Right. The third, third if the third base coach grabs his nuts, that means it's not this pitch. It's the next one. Yeah, so that made no sense. That was bothersome.
3: And it actually would have been a great play to have done that because with the with the knockdown pitch, it would have been almost impossible for the catcher to have thrown. Totally. I mean, Willie stole, We know Willie stole 60 bases in two weeks, so it's going to be impossible <laughs> for him to throw Willie out. Now Willie's at third, and, yeah. the, and you do the bunt, and Willie only has to score from, from third. That's yeah. easy. That's very easy. I
4: it's mean, right. Jake
3: still has to beat it going to first, but still.
4: Yeah.
3: So then he gets dust himself, does not dust himself off. Harry points right. it out. He doesn't dust Makes himself it a off. Yep. He just gets up, and he points again. Crowd goes crazy again. And then I love this. Pitch comes in, heat bunts, close up of the third baseman, who just goes, shit.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Taylor waits at the plate. The Duke at the belt, hangs away from second. Here comes the 1-1 pitch. Taylor bunts! (laughs)
3: He's like, oh, no, I'm way too deep. Right. So he runs in. Third baser tries to get the ball. We see Jake really pumping, and he's obviously in pain. Everything he has. The the camera work is really good because as Jake is running to first, they cut, and Willie is already rounding. Like Duke Duke Temple, that's the third base coach. Duke Temple Ah. is waving him. He doesn't shouldn't need to. He gave him the sign. He knows he's supposed to right. try to score. But he's waving <laughs> him, and Willie's already around third. And now the only question really is going to be, can Jake beat it out? Right. And I really like the fact you see Behringer kind of lunge for the bag. They do a good job of showing the bag. So you see that they do his really foot good hits game. just before. So yeah. it's clear even for novice baseball fans.
4: You hear it, you hear the sound, you hear the, you know, they hit the mid and you see it, that he's safe.
3: And then Clue doesn't realize it immediately, the runner's right. breaking. And this is when they do a great job where the camera literally kind of swivels around Clue as Clue goes to throw. And they just have a great shot down the first baseline of, and they, they had to actually time it. I don't know how many takes it took, but it all happens the way it's really supposed to. You see Vukovic throw the ball and you see where Wesley is. Yeah, And he... You see the whole thing. You see him just barely beat it to home.
6: Hey! Hey, he's around third. He's going to try to score. Here comes the throw. He's sliding. he
2: is. Yeah.
3: And then I've always, it's corny, but I've always really liked the shot, like up the umpire's nose. And he just yes. goes, safe,
6: safe. The Indians win it. The Indians win it. Oh, my God. The yes. Indians win it. Safe, ah! safe,
2: safe. Safe.
4: That's great. And and then the background is Clue is throwing the ball. You see Jake on the ground. Look, yeah, looks right. like he <laughs> <and him. laughs> he's like it. He's,
3: right. sprawled, he's sprawled out face hurt. down in the grass. <laughs> he
4: can give every ounce of anything he has.
3: And then Harry Doyle's call. The Indians win it. Oh, my God. The Indians win it.
4: Uh, The Indians win it. The Indians win it. Oh, my God. The Indians win it. And then we have the celebration on the field. Lind comes down.
3: It's very close. After, After Harry says, oh, my God, the Indians win it, there's basically no more dialogue in the rest of the movie.
2: Right.
4: There's a
3: little like kind of incidental, like you hear Serrano yell something like, yeah, we did it or whatever. But there's really no more lines in the rest of the movie. And so they're all celebrating. They're all paired off the way you would assume, you know. Um, But then we see Roger goes over and sees Ricky. wears back, punches him, knocks him around his ass, then immediately picks him up and
4: hugs him. (laughs) Which is great.
3: So they're all celebrating. And then. Jake looks up. And there's Lynn. There's Lynn. And she's standing in that same spot. She got really good seats. Well, I guess mm-hmm. the fiance it was loaded, so she probably used his money to buy the really good seats. And she go. stands there, and she holds up her left hand, so you can see that she no longer has an engagement ring. And so he heads right over, gives her a hug, picks her up, and she's, she's celebrating with all the players. Right. <laughs> she has never met any of there them.
4: Any of them. <laughs> not a one <laughs> but they don't care right she's part of the family right. and it's, she's the only uh significant other on the field too I believe yes yeah. well that's all that, well, that's all that matter that's out that of matters right and then after this triumph this exaltation this celebration we go to the saddest song of all time to close <laughs> 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 back to the sad song to close out the movie yep and it's a movie where you're thinking, are there going to be extras? Are we going to see outtakes? Is it going to be right? Nothing. You just, nope. Now you're being depressed again.
3: All right. So there actually was, there, there, there was an additional scene they shot that they didn't, that they cut out of the movie. That was, they actually shot a wedding scene for Jake and Lynn.
4: Okay. They didn't decided that. that
3: they didn't need it for two reasons. Number one, the movie should end with them celebrating. But the other one was, that makes the movie about Jake. When the movie clearly was not about Jake. It was about all of them. So no reason to leave that in the movie.
4: Two excellent reasons. Even
3: worse than that, which you actually can watch on the DVD, and I've never watched it, is they had filmed a different ending in which Rachel Phelps reveals that um, this was all her master plan. To foster the team's success. That she never was going to move into Miami. She really thought the only way they could they would all pull together is if they hated her. And when they tested the movie, they left it in and everybody hated it. Right. So they pulled it out.
4: That's good. Well, they make good decisions. (laughs) Wow. People sometimes ask why do they test movies like that? Yeah. Well, that's why. Um I believe. Otherwise, you're watching Major League with Jake getting married and the owner taking credit for the whole thing.
3: So, former Brewer Pete Vukovic obviously played Clue Haywood. Former Dodger Steve Yeager was Duke Temple, the Indians' third base coach. Mm-hmm. Former Brewers pitcher Willie Mueller was Duke Simpson. He was the other Duke.
4: Mueller, Mueller. Former
3: Mueller. Brewer Jerry Augustine played a Yankee, but I don't know which one. I'm not, not familiar enough with Jerry Augustine's oeuvre to know which <laughs> Yankee he played.
4: Not familiar enough with uh, his work?
3: People have pointed out that the Yankee shortstop in the movie wore number two. Oh, not long after the movie came out, um, Derek Jeter became the shortstop for the Yankees, and now the Yankees right. have no single-digit numbers left; they're all retired. Right. Um,
4: right. County yeah. Stadium
3: stood in for Cleveland Municipal Stadium for a number of reasons. Number one, there were conflicts with the Indians and the Browns, um, hmm. so it was hard to get um, hard to get in there to shoot some shots of Cleveland stadium are in the movie, just exteriors. Um, but also uh, Milwaukee or Cleveland was a union town and it was actually, it cost them a million dollars less to shoot in Milwaukee than it would have if they'd shot everything in Cleveland. So I have a feeling that was probably
4: uh, the, real I would imagine, yeah. I imagine that it had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Interesting.
3: Um, Steve Yeager said that Wesley Snipes got pissed that they kept making him slide <laughs> and complained that it hurt. And Yeager's like, yeah, it does.
4: It hurts. Uh, yeah. Do it
3: right, and then we'll uh, we won't do it. Um. Oh, this was you probably know you probably read this. Uh, do you know which? Um, well, he's a famous actor. Was actually cut out of the movie. They filmed a bunch of scenes. He was he played a Cleveland. One of the guys on Cleveland's bench, and he was like um, he had a whole subplot. Not a whole subplot, but there were scenes where he was like a bench jockey. He said funny things and whatever, and they, and they cut him out of the movie.
4: Was it Joey
3: Amalfatano? <laughs> it was Jeremy Piven. Oh, what? Really? Yeah, they cut him out of the movie.
4: <laughs> no um, kidding. I did not know that.
3: So this movie came out in, um, in 1989. And um, so Cub fans ascribed, I was one of them, the, the, the fictional Indians basically became the real Cubs, that scrappy bunch that went to the, the playoffs. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a pitcher named Mitch Williams who pitched for the Cubs. They got him one of the worst trades in baseball history, but they got him. Yeah. Um, and he, was, he, um, he got the bases loaded on opening day against the Phillies and looked like another ignominious defeat and struck out the side to get out of it. And uh, people decided he was the wild thing. We got Don, our own
4: Wild Thing,
3: yes. Don Zimmer got so pissed that Gary Pressey was not allowed to play Wild Thing when Mitch was warming up. Don Zimmer forbade it. Um, Mitch, would later,
2: oh, okay.
3: Mitch would later go full Wild Thing and switch his number to 99 when he went to pitch <laughs> for the Phillies. Nice. Oh, so in the commercial for the movie, not even in the trailer, but in the commercial when it was in, um, there was a scene with Ricky, Jake, and Willie Mays Hayes sitting in a restaurant, and they're discussing a home run Ricky gave up. And Jake says to Ricky, that ball wouldn't have gone out of a lot of parks. And Ricky says, name one. And Jake pauses and says, Yellowstone.
4: <laughs> oh,
3: wow. They cut that. That didn't make it into the movie, but David S. Ward put it back in, it's in Major League Two.
6: Yeah, there we go. That's right.
3: And it's one of those that when I watch the movie, I always forget, it's not in Major League Two. One. Uh, or Major League One. It's like st- gags that were in Airplane, that you remember yeah. a couple of things from Airplane 2 and assume it was an airplane. But that's similar because the Zuckers didn't write Airplane 2. In fact, they want nothing to do with Airplane 2, much like Ward didn't right. write, although obviously he was directed, so he put that scene back in. Yeah. Um, okay, there are There are four subtitles in the movie.
4: Okay, they're shitty. Yep. Oh, that's what, well, they're shit, The okay. Well, there's a couple of their shitties you're only counting, but that counts as two. Their shitties. They're still shitty.
3: Yep. And then there's one more.
4: Hmm, I got the three easy ones. There's. uh, Damn, I don't know. You make everything groovy.
3: During the wild thing, scene Uh they cut to the they cut to the groundskeeper singing, along (laughs) to the song, and they actually subtitle "You Make Everything Groovy," which I like. Like that. Uh, And then the last thing I have is. So there are twice in the movie. First, um, when they're at the restaurant and uh, Jake makes the call to Lynn, the Mm -hmm. hostess comes over and says, Miss Westland, you have a phone call. Mm -hmm. And then when he calls the fake phone number that she gives him, he asks for Lynn Westwood, and they say there's nobody there by that name. But in the credits, her character's name is Lynn Wells.
2: Hmm.
3: So they just got the name wrong on the credits?
4: I don't know what they would have done there. That's bizarre. Okay. Huh. But we've seen some kind of bizarre things with this movie.
3: Yeah, there's not... for, set for a, I think we agree, for a very good movie. Certainly a very enjoyable yeah. movie. Um, right. A few things fell through the cracks.
4: Yeah. I mean, maybe that was her character's name in a previous script, and they never changed that. I could see that happening. I don't know. It's yeah, so just
3: ended up on the, whoever was typing in the credits got, or maybe, uh, maybe they were a big David Wells fan, and they just changed her name.
4: Maybe that was it. Yeah. I don't it was know. Kip,
3: it was Kip Wells' mom who was typing in the credits. I <laughs> named one of the characters after you, Kip. Yeah. Thanks, mom. Oh, the girl. You named the girl <laughs> after me. <laughs> wow.
4: All right. We made it. Yes, an entire tour through.
3: Who knew you could take an uh, hour and 40-minute movie and make a four-hour podcast out of it? But oh, you can't.
4: Only, only we could do that.
3: <laughs> All right, so now to, down to the final questions. Who would you have played in the movie?
4: I got to go with Lou Brown. Yeah.
3: I would have been Serrano. <laughs> yeah, I think I would have, have made an excellent Pedro Serrano.
4: I have you Pedro as a Serrano. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I could have been Tomlinson. I could have handled that.
4: Tomlinson could, would have been great. I could you. have
3: played left field and almost hit a home run in the big game at the end. That would have been
2: Tomlinson. Yeah. Yeah. Who would,
3: Trey, who would Trey Wilson have played in the movie?
4: Serrano. Yeah, he would have been great. Go Serrano.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know because I would not have automatically, he could have been Lou Brown. James Gambon yeah. is Lou Brown. Yes. Um, maybe he could have been Harris. Yeah. He could been have been, gr- been the grumpy.
4: Um, could have been him. Right. Charlie, maybe.
2: Yeah. I
3: wonder how old was he then? He was 40 when he died, so he couldn't have been too old. Yeah. He was busy making raising Arizona. <laughs> All right, all right. So,
4: who won? I'm gonna give. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say you again. No, I don't. I don't think I won this one. You don't think so? Nope. So, is it a draw?
3: I think I've given over the years. I've given too much thought to the movie, so I didn't. I wasn't unearthing new gems other than King Ralph. That might have been my favorite. Ralph is a good one. David S. Ward also wrote King Ralph.
4: That's a great one. Oh,
3: yeah. he also directed. He directed Major League Two, King Ralph, the program, and the Kelsey Grammer, Lauren Holly classic, Down
4: Periscope. Oh, Down Periscope. <laughs> that is a classic, Down Periscope. It's actually not a bad movie. All right. Well, you're picking the next movie. Okay. Um, I'm going to call up the uh, wheel of names right okay here's what i'm gonna suggest i'm gonna suggest can we spin my big wheel the big wheel all right just the ones that i pick but if i don't like it or if i want to do something else i'll veto it and pick it, pick it up <laughs> <laughs> let's spin the wheel see what happens let's see that all right what do we got okay here we go uh, uh, oh oh Rounders. Rounders. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take it. All right, that'll work. I like that. Great. Cool.
3: All right, well, thank you for uh, listening to... I, you made it to the end. You listened to the entire thing, and so you can join us in a couple of weeks when we will break down the whatever year. Nineteen. What is whatever that, year? What? Is that a 20th century movie or a 21st century movie?
4: I think it was 20th, so we got that.
3: Matt Rounders. Damon... Ed Norton, John Malkovich, uh, Gretchen Maul.
4: The great Gretchen Maul, Ed yes, comes. exactly. All right. All right.
2: All right, well, until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Many of us have herpes.